0: as to how hard you worked yesterday <laughs> no. did what? you work exceedingly hard yesterday i mean it's a given but if you want to update uh and yeah. make sure our listeners know okay. that you go the well, extra mile well since you asked i got uh, i did have to go
1: to um where'd i go yesterday i went to work on a computer and i went to sumter okay so i got that problem fixed um i, I did leave work pretty much on time yesterday afternoon so no complaints there and I will have to give credit to some of our coworkers because they had a, a computer, not anything that involved me, but it was a server problem on our traffic and business server, apparently, so they didn't get done with their work until about 9 o'clock last night from what I saw in the emails. Good deal. So it, was, D- it wasn't all about me yesterday, just in case you're wondering.
0: But you're aware that if you were to fly, I mean, we're back to the Wild West in America. hmm I mean, despite oh, all, but yeah. I understand how committed and dedicated you are to your employment. But but those of us who aren't quite as dedicated or committed as you, uh, we turn the television on from time to time. We mm-hmm. turn the the radio on from time what to time. What do you time. learn when you turn? We, the TV we go on. on. I learn words like arbitrary and capricious. <laughs> uh, anytime those two words are thrown around, uh, I know there's some sort of um, judge involved or a legal proceeding or or hearing involved. But um, judge, what's her name? Catherine Mazel, a Trump appointee. Um, ruled yesterday that the CDC's mask mandate or transportation mask mandate um, is no longer in effect. Uh, She ruled it um, unconstitutional. Um, And anytime you hear the words arbitrary and capricious and uh, they begin to quote statutes and all these other sorts, sanitation was a big word. Um, Her definition or interpretation uh, of sanitation, that there's a CDC guideline, Public Health Services Act, um, I think it's 246a and the Biden administration has argued that the mandate was justified by a reference in the section to sanitation as an action the CDC can carry out. Um, she says that's not the case. That is overreach. Um, and she I guess a close analysis on her side as, as a judge um what's arbitrary and capricious all these legal words, relevant provisions. Um, but she argued that the meaning of the word sanitation in the context of Biden administration was applying, um, the mass, the mass requirement is not sanitation within the meaning of the statute. I mean, that's kind of her, um, and, and I think her reasoning, uh, was a bit persuasive. I read some of the language, um, last night. She's a, um, uh, a Trump appointee. She's a, um, somewhat younger female judge talking about females, about a, she might have went to business class or business school. Mm-hmm. Um we talked about that. That's an interesting uh, debate that we'll um open the doors on again as we um get our, our, our brains woken up together uh this morning. But yeah, the um I, I guess um barefaced travel. We're back in business. Oh. Um the the medical or the biomedical
1: tyranny um subsides. Now no my question is why now? Why not a year
0: ago or Year and a half ago or six months ago? I would have no idea. I mean, you know, uh, tyrants choose to be tyrannical until someone releases uh, or relieves them of that power to be uh, tyrannical. But um, the CDC says the national mask requirement on public transportation, here's their release, is no longer in effect. Uh, they will not enforce the mask uh, order, but continue to recommend that people wear masks and into a public. Um, transportation settings. Um, from what I'm gathering, there was a a lot of celebrating going on in airports and other public transportation systems around America. So yeah, big bad America's back. Uh, the Wild West prevails. Um, the the biomedical tyranny ends, and um, and bareface travel is back uh, in style. But arbitrary and capricious, and statutes. And all these other sort. It really came down to the Public Health Services Act and her interpretation or her her, her, her ruling that the CDC had misinterpreted uh, the rule senate sanita- or the word sanitation. And um, and she gave a pretty persuasive uh, argument. Uh, and then she was there a required public notice and and comment period on some of the um, some of the rulings made by CDC. She probably did as good a job um as any judge i've seen um arguing her points in a in a lay fashion a way that you and i could understand it uh, anytime the word arbitrary and capricious i, I begin to like oh, i don't even need to read this but <laughs> I, mean, I can't you know those are the only two words that i've heard uh, in some of these rulings and renderings but
1: um i might have to stop and look them
0: up yeah but uh anyway i, I want to make sure we get this squared away uh Catherine kimball Mizell. um is her name and appointed by President Donald Trump Now I saw something on MSNBC that said she's a Trump appointee there's political motivation here she's a young female you know how those young females are when they get on um, big jobs like judgeship somebody I mean, you got to be careful about the emotions of how they um, act upon their rulings and she's trying to make her former boss um, happy I did see that on MSNBC but good land I mean you know it's it's bizarre to me that people are still wearing masks I mean, it just is, to me personally, it is beyond belief that we are in, what, May of 2022, and people are still wearing masks, uh, and people are upset about it, and one of the memes on Facebook, excuse me, on um, Twitter yesterday was um, a reference to, what is the show with Watt? Uh, yeah, Wheel of Fortune, where you name the letter and then name the word um, M space SK. Is it mask or is it musk? <laughs> and, and and you had the liberal, remember the, the liberal meltdown, the lady yeah. crying in the parking lot? I mean, they're late with, with like a yellow, I don't know, some sort of yellow clothing on, but she is crying just uncontrollably because by uh, Trump won the 2016 election, so they've got a picture of her beside, you know, M <laughs> space SK, um, either Musk or mask, you know, just freak the liberal mindset out in America today. Uh a lot of things we can talk about this morning, but I, I, to me, that's the most newsworthy. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's a good I, one. I'm not a fan of mask. I'm a big fan of Musk. Speaking of Musk, um, Apollo Global—ever heard of them? They're about a 500 billion dollar, have a trillion dollar um, company that specializes in um, in leverage buyouts. They have come. Uh, they have let it be known publicly now. Wall Street Journal had an article yesterday that they're considering and participating uh, in a bid for Twitter. This would be, um, is it is an equity stake? Is it um, lending? Uh, remember, Elon Musk is the richest man on the planet, but he doesn't have $250 bucks in the bank. I mean, a lot of this, or the majority of this, I, I would imagine he would be cash poor. Uh, the, the, the high percentage of his wealth tied up in the
1: stocks. The, the, the story came out the other day, he doesn't even own a home. Yeah, doesn't want a home. He, he stays on... Friends' spare bedrooms. A lot
0: of really wealthy people don't want to own a home. They they, they think it's the worst investment you could ever make. Um, We've been told traditionally and historically, you know, it's the biggest investment you'll ever make. No, it's something to live in. I mean, I've kind of ascribed to, and I mean this sincerely, I don't look at a home as an investment. I think when you start looking at a home as an investment, you begin to uh, make irrational decisions about the... uh, the hard asset that you live in. I mean, a home is exactly that—a home. Um, and we got interest rates and debt and all these other sorts of things that go into trying to convince you it's a—it's an investment. And there's been a kind of a, a game played with mortgages and lending. And uh, I don't want to—I don't want to talk too much about the real estate industry because my son is in the real estate industry. But uh, anyway, th- there's a lot of um, shenanigans that go in. Uh, to that corner of the economy. But uh, Apollo Global Management announced that AR this was uh, Saturday when the rumblings began, and the Wall Street Journal reported that they are considering uh, participating in a bid for Twitter, um, and Elon Musk's $43 billion bid uh, puts the social media company in play. Um, I don't know if they've coordinated. I have no idea what their communication is being – I mean, I wouldn't know. I mean, Elon doesn't call me, and the CEO of Apollo Management, uh, believe it or not, doesn't call me and say, "Hey, we're talking to Elon," or Elon says, "We're talking to." Hey, is Ken there? Yeah. <laughs> um, tell Ken that I'm talking to Apollo Global Management about an equity position or, or lending arrangements to um, to take to buy Twitter and take it and take it private. But they are one of the the world's largest buyout firms, um, specializing. Um, not so pleasant arrangements. Um, they have a propensity and an appetite for some of these hostile takeovers, and they funded uh, many, many of these over the years. Once again, five hundred billion dollars. And um, I mean, that, that's kind of their that, that would be their uh, asset management portfolios um, valuation. So they're a big boy. I mean, you know, Elon's got what two hundred and fifty or sixty billion. Of his own, this company's got about five hundred billion, and um, and once again, we don't know if the um, if the talk or some of the communication is about an equity stake, a joint equity stake with Musk, or you know, can we lend you the money? Is there some sort of um, creative arrangement we can make? If somebody um in the Apollo Management World, Apollo Global Management World, communicates with it, they can figure it out. I mean, these are really smart people. Probably went to business school. They can um they can figure this out and um so it really um it, it leads me to believe that twitter's not going to stay as it is twitter One is going another, to huh? th- there's no question about well, it. I hope. I mean, it that there is no doubt about it i think they're going to stop musk from buying it i mean i really believe that they've already introduced the poison peel and that basically um dilutes the 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 9.2 ownership that musk has today if i'm not mistaken Vanguard. Uh, bought a bunch of it there at about 10.4 or 5%. So, Musk stayed the largest shareholder, uh, the, the largest owner of shares in Twitter, only about two or three or four days. Vanguard now owns about 105 or 11%. Uh, once again, to remember, if Musk goes on the board, his ownership can't exceed 14%. He withdrew his name from consideration for being on the Twitter board. Um, and that got us excited because we felt okay, I think I said it uh, before the news broke. This leads me to believe that he's going to make a run at it. I mean, he's going to really try to buy um, Twitter or to be con- controlling interest in some way, shape, or form. But now he has a partner, in Apollo Management, which once again is a um, is an old hand at some of these hostile takeovers. And I would imagine um, if if they along with Musk have uh, any sort of compatible goals, you know, collaborating is going to be something that Twitter just can't stand against. You got a company that historically has been successful in these sorts of arrangements. You got a guy that um that walks to the beat of his own drum. And uh, Joe Rogan, I don't know if you saw this or not. We can't play Rogan over the air because he drops the f bomb more than anybody I've ever heard. This is that northeastern thing. I don't California. I don't know this um down south you don't say it, man. But everywhere else they do, and it's just over and over and over again. And I think, I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the good Lord just is going to forgive anybody above the Mason-Dixon line west of the Mississippi for saying that because it's a part of the vernacular. Um, it's a bit taboo in our neck of the woods. Um, but it's not in other places. It's just simply not. But I love to play Rogan because Rogan looked at, um, basically offered commentary uh, on Musk as somewhat of a superhero. You know, can we, I mean, can we have another um, dozen Elon Musk on the world? I mean, you want to make the world a better place and change the, or, or have some sort of um, paradigm shift, then let's get more Elon Musk involved in, um, in things that we believe. And I think Rogan agrees with us fundamentally. I don't think Rogan would call himself a conservative. I mean, he's kind of a. Um, oh no, he's a very independent. Pro- I mean, he was a big supporter of Bernie, Bernie Sanders, Sanders in the twenty sixteen yeah. presidential election. Um, but but he has a lot of um similarities and uh, and a lot of beliefs that are very in common uh, with a lot believe of believe he's, in, he's into
1: free speech too. Yeah, you gotta believe.
0: It. Well, I mean, he's in the business of speech, right? I'm in the business of speech. Remember how he was attacked for having Doctor Robert Malone yeah. on? Yeah. And then he was um, accused of taking horse dewormers and all yeah. this on on CNN when he had Sanjay Gupta, you know, in his studio um, and took him to task. But um, but but now Saturday Musk tweeted a um, couple of music notes. Did you see this? Mm-mm. And love me tender. Now that's a reference to Elvis Presley music, but it's also um, is it? I mean, is he signaling his intent to launch a direct appeal to Twitter shareholders about tendering an offer for their shares? In other words if Rev has a 1000 shares or if Rev if Ken has 50 shares and Mike has 300 shares and he says hey I'll give you 54.30 per share um, do you tender your share do you just cash in and say give me the money at the offer price um, don't have any idea but uh, but shareholders would have the option to tender their shares at that at that price of what is it 54.40 now $54.40 was his, uh, was his offer. So there's a lot going on there. Now we said yesterday, and I want to say again, that the, um, the Elon Musk, uh, and now Apollo global considering participating in a bid for Twitter, it, it really leads you down the road of wondering how intense, how, um, uh, intertwined the conspiracy is. Uh, I, I tried to go back and look at a lot of things yesterday that I'd read over the last several weeks and you know if there's a conspiracy why i mean if indeed if, if the elites and the the the, ah, the davos man let's say the davos class i mean i want to be careful with men and women today because we're going to really talk a lot about i'll give you a random stat you ready 60 mm-hmm. percent. remember we had this conversation yesterday and it evolved into a a fairly interesting conversation uh Bree said he had to work out with a client but he heard we had another lib call in You know, (laughs) (laughs) so somebody must have updated Breeze that we had another lip call in, you know, talking about, you know, women who are educated, uh, vote Democrat, women who are not educated, still vote Democrat, but not as overwhelmingly in favor of one political party. But here's uh, I I did somewhat of a um, I I couldn't find an exact stat, but I I, I did about an hour's worth of work on this because I just wanted to know uh, to make me feel better about what we talked about yesterday. Women make up about sixty percent of all the um the enrollees in four-year colleges all across the country. Sixty percent of the students are female. Twenty-five percent of the students in the fifty um highest ranked business schools in America are female. So there is a disconnect there. I mean Larry was a bit kind of chastised and challenged a little bit about his comments yesterday, but but the facts show that to be clear. Sixty percent of students female 25 percent of students in the 50 highest rated business schools or 25 percent and that included Darla moore i mean i saw her uh, her i saw the university of south carolina business school the Darla moore school of business i heard it i mean i saw it rated as high as number nine and i saw it rated as low as number 43 so it's somewhere between the ninth best business school in america and the 43rd best business school in america it's kind of weird i mean if you're clemson and you're the ninth-best football team in America via per one poll, you're not the 43rd per another. You may be the 10th, you may be the 8th, but you're not 9 and 43. And um, how they get these rankings, I don't have any idea. What goes into the rankings, I didn't delve into that, but it's about four or five or six different ranking services. And they all included Darla Moore, um, and I think game are going to be proud of that. But the, the, the top 50 business schools, only about 25% of the students in those schools um, – we're female. Guess what the number one-ranked business school in America is? Surprise, surprise, surprise. Stanford. Is there something sta- – I mean, I'll tell you, man, when you look at some of these rankings, Stanford has passed every Ivy League school. Vanderbilt is not. Duke is not. I mean, they're well-regarded, well-respected, unbelievably um, well-thought-of and, and highly regarded. But Vanderbilt and Duke are still a notch below the Ivy League schools. Stanford appears to me – across the board higher ranked than um any of the ivy league schools in other words the harvard school of business was number two after the stanford school of business um there there was a couple of other you know the harvard school of international government was second to the stanford school of international government stanford's paying the rating agencies more money than the Ivy league schools are maybe the case but i don't know what to make of that i mean we had somewhat of a debate yesterday that I found very interesting and intriguing. And I think we could really explore that and try to understand um, why women are voting in such a high percentage. Rev, the, in 1980, the the women voted by a percentage of eight points uh, more Democrat than, than Republican. That number's double today. I mean, I'm talking about black women, white women, um, college-educated women, women with no degree. They were voting... Uh, the Democrats had about an eight percentage advantage in 1980. And that number is 16. That's a big number. Women outvoted men in the 16 election by 11 million votes in the 20 election by 11 and a half million votes. So North of 10 million more women voted in the 16 presidential election and the 20 presidential election. So when you've got the numbers and we kind of went down that road yesterday, um, the, 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 not, the woman with no degree votes uh, Democrat, but not overwhelming. The women with college degrees, I mean, it's plus 30, plus 35. I mean, I've seen it as high as plus 38, and you wonder why. I mean, I said yesterday, I don't know. I've got a guy that, I, that listens to the show and, and works in politics. He texted me kind of a long strand, and, I mean, he went on and on and on, and he said, man, I, I'm not even finished yet, but, but, you know, i got things to do. He believes— that the a lot of the women um, now now Brees has a theory. This person has kind of a different theory that that women have k- kind of morphed into more of a go-getter than a man has. Um, the man has gotten lazy and lax and um, non-motivated and uh, just not not as driven as they were before. I'm not talking about you, the man. I'm not talking about me. My I'm not talking about anybody specific. But in general, on average. Men are just not as productive, not as motivated um, to ah, be the leaders um, that we were. You know, there was a day I read an article in the Atlantic Magazine yesterday that said, um, you know, back in the 1940s and 50s, the woman waited in the car while the man went and voted. Even if the woman had a right to vote, you know, had been uh, approved as a legitimate voter, they still stayed in the car. Uh, There was another article, and this is Atlantic, so take it what it's worth, Um, it's kind of a liberal publication has a liberal bias about it. But, um, when you asked a woman who she voted for, whoever her husband said to vote for and men have become, um, more politically illiterate, less motivated, um, giving in to some of the, um, nuances of feminism and, you know, maybe we have had too good a run at it for too long a period of time. Hold on to that for just a second. I don't want to get too far behind. We're already behind a little bit, Mike, let's take a break. I know I got a call and we'll get there. As soon as we get back on the other side, not most, it's all, even those who believe <laughs> that, you know, women with no degrees are dumb and that's why they believe in God. We had that, you know, addressed Yesterday, the and, caller made that insinuation yesterday, yeah, none of this is new. I mean, that's kind of the talking points, the company line of those on the
1: political left. So I'm trying to follow the math here, and you always say it just it is all about math. It comes down to
0: winning elections is Right. I mean, the, the art votes. of politics is not, but winning elections is all about the
1: math. And and I guess the art of politics is about getting votes. Sure. And votes is math, Correct. basically in a way. Mm-hmm. And and how many more women voted than men?
0: About 11 million more. Let's say 10 million and 16, about 10 million, about 11 and in 20, about 11 and a half more million more women voted than men. So take that over vote. All things considered, let's say that we've got, you know, we've got a, the same number of men and the same number of women. And we add 10 million women to the mix and the women are voting about 30 percentage points more for the Democrat than they are for the republican now the the college educated woman is about plus 38 the non-degreed uh, woman is about plus 7 or 8 some uh, plus 5 or 6 somewhere um they about um so so you've got a plus 30 universe of 10 million people so let's say 65% vote for uh, the democrat 35% vote for the republican that's a 3 million vote gain on 10 million extra votes that's a big deal and I'm getting in Cahaley's world now. I mean, how many votes do you get out of Greenville County? How many get, When I ran for lieutenant governor, here's how many we need out of Greenville County. Here's how many we need out of Horry County. I mean, it is a, it's, it's a mathematical equation. Politics is the art of, you know, um, messaging and campaigning and, you know, media opportunities and debates. But at the end of the day. The candidate tries to find the votes. Where are the votes, and how do I motivate those people to come to the poll in support of my campaign or candidacy? And the Democrats, for whatever reason, and I think we're trying to explore some of the some of the reasoning, the Democrats do extremely well with our females, extremely well with the females. And if 10 million more females vote than men, and they win that subset of voters by 30 percentage points, there's a three million dollar change in the vote totals just with that ten million uh, person overvote. That's a big wow. number. I mean, that's a huge number. Sure, you better believe it. You better believe it. And I, what, what I'm trying to understand, and I don't know the answer to this. Robert and I were texting last night. Why is this the case? Um, Breeze had a theory. Larry had a theory. Um, Lisa had a lot of people yesterday had theories. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I've got some theories. I think there's a a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of, of something else. But it's a political reality that the Republicans have trouble convincing women. I'll give you another example. You know what's an even more staggering number? Single females. When a woman gets married and has a kid, they're much more likely to vote Republican but we have more single women than ever before. We have more women without children than ever before. We we know because we've talked a lot about this. Women are delaying getting married. They're delaying having children. And a college-educated woman who's not married and has no children, they're voting for the Democrats. If they vote for the Republican, they mash the wrong button. Let's go to the phone. Here is Rujan in
1: the PD. Hey, Rujan.
2: Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I hope your day is going well. I wasn't expecting this kind of chilly weather, but <clears throat> hey, guys. You know, I I, I I grew up in a in a family that that I had four older sisters and uh, and five five younger brothers. Though, but but the thing about it is, you know, growing up in that type of household, you get a chance to to see certain things, and and, and trust me. You know, my first experience of, of, of listening and, you know, seeing or hearing anything about a soap opera was on the radio with my mom and and several other women in the neighborhood standing around this big old wash tub doing laundry. Uh, you know, and that was like in the the, 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 the mid to late 60s yeah, as a kid. But, you know, you hear the gossip, you hear all the all the all the information that's going out. And, and, and women, oh, gosh, I get myself in trouble. I don't really give a rip but, but women, by nature, are creatures that are that that like to be entertained, and they 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 can be swayed by their emotions, and and once you pull on that heart string, you know you can you can sway them, and and the, the today's environment that provides with you know provides them with so much information and and so much entertaining information. That's why that's why you know. uh, I think Instagram and all of these social media sites, TikTok, that's why women gravitate to them because they want to be entertained and they, they, they thrive or they, they crave that emotion, you know, that emotional stimuli to, 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 you know, to, to, to satisfy it. I mean, you know, and, 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 to me, the bottom line is, you know, when they say men are from Mars and women are from, from, from Venus, it's true. You know, we, we think on, on different planes and, and, you know the the democrats have used uh that philosophy and and just using it to their advantage i mean you know uh, and and unfortunately men don't think with just one head <laughs> and so they're 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 swayed by by that uh by that that uh, you know i'll uh, i'll leave it at that i won't get too much into that
0: Thank you, Rujan. appreciate that. (laughs) 843 is our number. I'm trying to look to see because I saw some of the uh, exit polling uh, and all this is polling. I mean, we don't know what the number is exactly. I mean, somebody yesterday questioned some of the data. Nobody knows exactly what the number is, but some of the exit polling. um, Most people believe that um, Biden beat Trump by about 25 percentage points amongst women. So, so let's say, let, let's take the 30 and, and go back to 25. That's still a big number. I mean, when you've got 10 million more women voting, and the women are voting uh, by 25 percentage points more for the Democrat, women are winning elections. Now, on the, on the other side of the equation, never in, a, in American history of uh, such a high percentage of men voted um, Republican. I mean, if you're a white male and voting Democrat, you're an albino cheetah. I mean, there ain't many of you. I mean, there's just not. The majority, the overwhelming majority of Caucasian males are voting Republican. Now, in some of the urban areas, skinny jeans poodles, I mean, some of the urban settings, um, you get a little bit more. But, but, you know, the rank and file white male voter has never voted um, as monolithically as we are. I mean, I'm a white male Republican, uh, white male, you know, rural voter. To some degree, but um, I mean, this is very interesting to me because once again, um, somebody said yesterday we're talking about college education, and I think it was Larry. I, I keep calling Larry's name, but I mean, he made a very interesting point. I don't know if Larry's right or not, but but the point he tried to make is what sort of education, what sort of um, degree are these women getting? Seventy, uh, about sixty-nine percent of all teachers in America are women. So seven and 10, roughly, I mean, that's a big number. Um, and I tried to look last night and I don't know that this is the exact number. I mean, I'm pretty sure on the 60% of all students in college today are female. I mean, that, that's kind of known. I mean, we've known that for a while and it's trending uh, more and more that way. In fact, by 2025, it could be 62 or 3%. We're, we're heading to a place where two of every three college students in America are going to be female. But they're, they're just simply not going in proportions to business schools. Because I looked at the top 50 business schools and tried to pull some of the enrollment data. And it looks to me like the number is somewhere around uh, one quarter. 25% of all the, 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 the students in the 50 highest ranked business schools appear to me to be female. Um, is that influencing uh, the, the college educated female voter? I think it is. I mean, w- would a would a female student who graduates from the Darla Moore School of Business be more inclined to vote for a Republican because of that formal education? I think they would, and because I think, of the formal business education. Well, I mean, but, but exactly. Versus and, another major, and, and and you get that degree, and you go out in the world, and you have an empl- uh, you, you know your your employment opportunity is at Boeing, or it's at uh, you know it's at uh, BMW. I'm using South Carolina companies here. It's Michelin. Um, it's with a fortune five and a company. And, you know, you, you got that degree from a top 50 business school. Um, you're going to get an interview, right? I mean, that, that, that carries some weight. I mean, that really, and truly, I'll let you into my world a little bit. I, you know, I've tried to, I try to encourage my daughter when she grew, you know, when, when she let it be known, she wanted to go to the university of South Carolina. I said, look, I'm not spending all this money to get a degree in philosophy. I'm just not let, let's find some education that is of great value to you as you prepare to make your own way. And I'm talking about gainful employment and providing for yourself, whether you, you know, don't count on a man to take care of you. I mean, I wanted my daughter to be independent and be able to take care of herself. And I'm not saying you can't do that with a philosophy degree, but it's a whole lot easier if you've got that sheepskin that says the Darla Moore School of Business. Because once again, w- w- depending on what ranking you believe, it's a top 50 business school in America. Let's go to the phone. Verd in
1: Marlboro County. Hey, Verd good morning ken uh i think the pre said in past elections
3: the uh, women may have leaned towards the democrats but i think the 2020, 2022 election cycle is going to be a a new animal for everybody uh, women are more and more becoming the breadwinners and families and at least contributing 50 percent of the income that comes into the families they are looking at the highest inflation rate in over 40 years they're paying high gas prices the women that are working which are a lot more now there were before Donald Trump was elected, uh, I guess, six years ago now. They are uh, working, uh, they're providing food, they're buying clothes for the kids, and they're paying just tremendous prices. And I think you're going to see the women uh, leave the Democratic Party this time, maybe not the whole 25 percent of them, but, you know, like I said, if you take half of them, that's going to be a tremendous vote. Uh, one other thing, we have our meeting tonight uh, in, in uh, Clive, uh at the venue uh Maine. Uh got Barbara Arthur, Dr. Barton, gonna have Robert Norton and Tracy Pelt who's running for district fifty five as Republicans uh in that race, and also gonna have uh Mike Golf with uh golf training and consulting. They're gonna be putting on a program on their uh CWP classes and uh, safe safe handling of gun classes and just gonna hopefully have a big crowd tonight.
0: Thank you very appreciate it. Good luck to you tonight. We'll take a break. We'll be back on the other side. 843-661-0937. Verd always has an optimistic um, take on uh, where the Republican Party is headed. It takes that. I mean, if you're going to invest in it, you got to be optimistic about it. Take a break. Back in a minute. This is what you get when 100 years ago we decided to let these crazy women vote. (laughs) I mean, we knew this was where we would end up one day, right? I mean, we knew that the that the women would not just choose to participate they try to take over the entire election process that's the great mistake we made oh, back in man. what was the it, 1920s about 100 years ago if i'm not mistaken uh when we conceded that right been a bad run for <laughs> me in here for about the last 100 years i say that with a high degree of sarcasm mm-hmm. please accept it as such let's go to the phone larry in the pd hey larry
4: Well, I was going to thank Rujan for climbing up on the cross for me this morning. (laughs) Apparently, yesterday, I must have said something controversial. I get in trouble all the time when I just say how things are. Everybody else likes to talk about the way things ought to be, but I can't do that. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead, and don't worry. I'm going to get right next to you, Rujan. I'm going to make a statement that I think a million people's heads are going to explode when I say this, but women are not oppressed. In the United States of America And you take any objective measure That a man would use To determine his success in life And women have got a speed in it There's more women in the workforce They say they don't make as much money But I know that's not true Um, There's more women In getting a college education There's more women doing this and that and the other There's more women voting This is their country But they still blame it on us Um, Women were oppressed at one point in time but i don't believe they are anymore um and if there's something that a woman's not doing at this point in 2022 it's because they don't want to but what i think is interesting is is you know we'll go to the bible for a minute the bible laid a curse on men and told us that we were going to have to work to basically feed ourselves that was a curse that's not a blessing now the american way has told you that you know work is this great thing but it's a curse. And every man or woman, when you begin work, the the one thing you begin working towards is retirement. The day you don't have to work anymore. So I don't know why women wanted to pick up the curse that belongs to the men and take part in it, but they sure have. And I know that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've diluted our dollar and you have to have two worker incomes in your your household if you are going to raise children. Now, I've said before, Democrats, by and large, are childless and godless. So, I get that they don't get this yet, but they're going to figure it out one day that work sucks. And I don't know why they want to just get in line to do more
2: and Larry, more. Larry,
0: hard break, top of the hour. If you want to hang on, you certainly are welcome to. we got to pay some bills. Back in a minute. Well, yesterday, was, yesterday was a winter day, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the Monday after Easter Sunday, and it's, what, 55 or fifty six degrees is a high let's go to the phone somebody i think larry held on yeah larry's still there hey larry
4: hey well i was just gonna say that that you know so much changed for women in the in the sexual revolution but you know the second part of the curse was that women were going to have it's a pain in in childbirth and so much of what quote held women back depending on what side of the, the argument you're on was you know having to rear children having to have children not having control over that if if you wanted to engage in and, you know sexual activity you ran a high risk of getting pregnant well with the pill, uh, with other forms of contraception that became less and less a problem for women but you know because it was the way it was women used to withhold sexual activity for marriage but now they do much more like men do they they just engage when they feel like it and uh, you know there's not a lot of, uh, of consequence I guess to that but It's funny that with all of the contraception we've got, we've got a ton of single moms. Well, you know, when we say single mom because we were products of the 80s, we think of people that used to be married and then their husband walked out on them, but these were people who never had a husband to start with because we've played around with sex and we've made it something other than the entrance to marriage. And, you know, so we're kind of – we've got a lot of goof-ups that are are shifting these demographics. I don't know if they're goof-ups. I shouldn't really say that, but there's a lot of changes in the – traditional roles so you know there's a lot of what i call boss fades out there you know there are a lot of women running their own households um there's a lot you know, so they are thinking for themselves voting for themselves all of that is is all well and good and I, I don't mean to present that as a problem and when i said yesterday you know they're getting a different kind of education that i'm not presenting that as a problem i'm just saying these are part of the reasons why things are changing good or bad will let society decide i mean i know what my opinion is but but, um, but you know, I think we, I think time will tell if this is really if we're all really better off this way. We'll find out. But I think if men want to have the kind of government they want to have, they're going to have to show up and vote for it because women certainly are.
0: Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. Well explained. And uh, and once again, I think the, the most interesting thing Larry said is, you know, we'll let society find out. Not now, you know, the, it, Apple's doing all they can do to address some of these uh, discrepancies, In other words, um, if you have an iPhone and the 15.4 update, you can now get the pregnant man emoji. Great. Take that, women. We've got a pregnant man emoji now. I thought it was a dude with a beard gut. It's actually a pregnant (laughs) man emoji um, floating around now. So your your latest update, the 15.4 update, uh, it goes to all iPhone users, now includes a... um, a, a pregnant man emoji. I want to go back to one thing Larry said, because he's talking about single parenthood. When you really go back to the 1980 Reagan revolution, a, a lot of the Reagan revolution centered upon um, personal liberties, personal freedoms, personal responsibility. Um, the the nanny state, the welfare state was going to be um, radically different if Reagan was allowed to be president. And the Republicans have kind of carried that banner since the 80s now i mean if you talk to a republican voter they they still talk about we've got to get all these people off welfare it's not the government's role and the responsibility take care of people who for whatever reason choose to not take care of themselves i didn't say can't take care of themselves i think even the most conservative republican understands there are examples in our society where government has to take care of the common good address the common good um Uh, that's a kind of blurring of the lines. There's a lot of gray there. But when you look at some of the reality, 16 million uh, pregnant, excuse me, 16 million single moms in America today. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's I've seen it 15.2 million. I've seen it 16.1 million. But most accountings I see have the number of single moms in, in America today at about 16 million, 90%. A little better than 90% of the 16 million single moms vote Democrat. In other words, hmm. 16 million single moms go to the poll in an election cycle, and about 15 million of the 16 million vote for the Democrats. And it really goes back to the Reagan era, the Reagan revolution um, ushered in um, a wave or a, a kind of a group think amongst conservatives that we've got to stop. This government dependency. We've got to stop allowing people to utilize the services of government when they can and should take care of themselves. So, so yeah, but there, there are a lot of the, the Democrats have done a good job at com, um, you know convincing some of these downtrodden, uh, some of these folks who have fell through the cracks. None of this is your fault. It's society's fault. It's the, uh, the societal construct that you've um, had to live in, had to exist in. I think Larry touched on something a second ago, oppression. A lot of women have been convinced uh, that they've been oppressed. They've been taken advantage of. They don't have ample or equal opportunities. I don't buy that, but I'm not a female. I don't know what a female deals with every single day, but I do know that 16 million single moms um, are out there and they vote in excess of 90%. I've seen it at about 91%. I've seen it as high as 95%. But, but regardless, if 16 million single moms go to the poll and about 15 million of the 16 million vote for the Democrat, there's another loyal subset of supporters. And, and why are 90% of single moms voting for the Democrats? Because the Republicans have argued that we can't continue to allow people to live off the, the backs of the taxpayer. That's kind of a, a conservative argument we made. I stand by that argument. Um, are women taught to not like men? You know, the, the, there's a lot of reading and literature out there in conservative circles that say feminism has convinced women to just not care much for, for men. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Morning, Breeze.
5: Hey guys, guess what I'll get ready to tell you. This is all by design too. a lot of this. You destroy the family, right? You destroy the family. And that goes to a lot of other problems. But, you know, if you start talking about, and Drew John was right, about women and emotion. But this odd, though, as more women are becoming more like men, and more men are becoming more like women, I wonder when you're going to have the surge of uh, white, white men who are a bunch of dang old sissies will start voting with their motion to be Democrats, too. Just thought I'd throw that out there. There is another problem we got. We got shootings at malls. And I'm wondering who is going to be – where are our politicians? Where are the Republicans that run the Senate and the House asking these district attorneys, asking these mayors, asking these judges what's going on here? And i tell you the other thing, too. And, you know, and is this racist, and i say, if I will go to the mall with my boys – and I see uh groups of young black men going around, should I leave? Why are these young black guys carrying guns to the mall for the intention of having an okay corral shootout? Do they not realize this well I guess they, they realize they may not go to jail? But but do you know why? Family. And I believe Rougeon and all these guys are talking about. It. If you discourage the family in the African American community, you discourage the family in the white community, you discourage the family that's Hispanic and any other race, you're going to have a mess. And that's when you daggone to have the government totally control the entire country. So they're breaking us apart so many different directions. It's no, a damn wonder we made
0: it this far. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. 843 Let's go to the phone. Rodney in Florence. low. Rodney. You're on the air.
6: Hey Ken, I got good news, bad news about the Darlamore School of Business. Okay, my daughter is an honors graduate, and your daughter won't get an interview. She's going to get recruited in a package with flight tickets to God knows where, and that place is block solid gold. And if you get out of that
0: school, you can go nose to nose with Stanford or any place else. Thank you, Rodney. Appreciate that. Will they take us as a package? <laughs> Will they take my oh. daughter and me as, as a package? 843 uh, 661 is the number. Uh, yeah, it's a highly regarded business school. And and really, why are we talking about a business school? And I think it goes to some of the conversations we've had about, uh, and Rev knows this, some of the busy head syndrome uh, kicks in high gear, and I start going from here to there to yonder to somewhere else. And, um, and you guys helped me a lot yesterday in, in sorting through some, some of the things we don't know. Nobody know. I mean, Breeze doesn't know this for sure. Larry doesn't know. that. Rujan doesn't know this. Um, Lisa doesn't know. We're, we're speculating. We're opining. We're giving our, our two cents worth on um, some of these realities. But it really is based on, I think Vern made an interesting argument this morning when he said that there are more female breadwinners. Never before in American history have this many women been the uh, the biggest wage earner in the family. I mean, we live in an age now where I don't know what the number is. I'll try to look it up during the break, but a high percentage of uh, households are led or, or the highest income in the household is that of the female. Inflation. I mean, it's not you know inflation on male earned dollars or inflation on uh, conservative earned dollars. It's inflation on every dollar you earn. And um, and if a female is the primary breadwinner, in the family let's say the the female goes to the darlamore school of business and gets an executive level job and makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and the male is um doing okay but making you know 65 or 70 thousand dollars a year um how do they divvy that money up is it her money and his money is it their money that's always an interesting um dichotomy to me uh, households and how you do your money my wife and i have never had a mutual checking account I mean, there are certain things I take care of. There are certain things she takes care of. we uh, we just never, I don't think we've done it, I mean, deliberately. It's just the way we kind of um, evolved over time. I don't want to say she's got her money and I've got mine. It's our money. I mean, I know it and she knows it, but but it's kept in a couple of different checking accounts. Um, why is that the case? Is that different? Is that odd? Most people have joint accounts, um, don't have any idea. Uh, but But when the breadwinner is a female, And the breadwinner is a female who historically has voted Democrat. And um, I had had a female text me yesterday that the majority of people in her world are conservative. But that's just not the reality. But it it may be exclusive in her world, but that's not um, across the board. The data clearly shows that women vote Democrat. Women vote in larger percentages, in larger numbers, and especially when you get to college-educated women. Uh, I don't know exactly why that's the case. We've had a lot of theories, uh, you know, uh, talked about here on Wake Up Carolina yesterday and this morning. Nobody knows exactly why that's the case. But if you are someone who believes the Democrats have cobbled together groups of oppression or grievances, as I do, and, and I do believe that. Um, I think the caller yesterday, uh, the as Bree said, the liberal, we find us another lib, uh, the guy that called in, I think he said my remarks were disingenuous or the debate was disingenuous. I'm not sure I understand what was disingenuous about it because I've said more than one time, I don't know exactly why these are the realities of American politics and, and today. And he
1: insinuated that you should know, and his reasoning was why. Well, I mean, it was
0: obvious. I mean, he was making the assumption right. that everybody knows this to be the case. But, I mean, that was right out of Atlantic Magazine or MSNBC. That's kind of the talking point. And here's the problem with arguing with a liberal. Or debating a liberal, let's, let's say that a little bit differently, not arguing with a liberal. I hope we can still um, have debates with some sort of integrity and, and respect for one another. Um, if you look at Elon Musk and Twitter, if you look at the mainstream media, if you look at academia, th- there in a lot of uh, arguing going on. There in a lot of debating going on. Debating has been disallowed. Um, you know, if you're a liberal, you have a free runway. I mean, there's nothing there. If you're trying to take off at a conservative 747, you got to miss this pothole and that hot pothole and this stack of brick and construction sites over there. But if you're someone left of center and you have this worldview and you want to um, kind of elaborate on why you feel certain ways about certain things, there's nobody out there going to challenge you. In fact, they've took all the, the, the factions of challenge out of the equation, and that's really what Musk is talking about in Censorship. You know, I read somewhere yesterday, a liberal um, Facebook post that said, Ex- explain exactly to me how a private company um, takes away your freedom of speech. And I think Musk has talked about, you know, censorship. You know, the private enterprise has a right to 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 monitor. I mean, they can moderate as they choose. They can they can implement algorithms however they choose. Um, and I think Musk realizes that, you know, Twitter's in the business of censorship. It's not a freedom of speech issue because a private company does not—it um, doesn't—it doesn't owe you uh, the right to freedomly or, or with freedom speak however you choose. They—they um, they have the right to censor if they choose. By the way, he but, referred to it as the de facto town square. Correct. It's more than just a company, but it's still a private enterprise. True. And, and they can violate the First Amendment. Yeah. I mean, they have the right to violate the First Amendment. Now, a Christian that doesn't bake a cake for a gay couple—that's a different story. There's always the double standard. And the reason the double standard is allowed to so easily exist is exactly what Musk is talking about. If you can't win a debate, just shut down the debate. Don't allow the debate to ever be allowed to take place. Um, And that's kind of the way the the modern political left is operated. They've convinced some of these media forces, some of these uh, disseminators of information that, you know, I'm not sure I can win the debate, so let's not even have the debate. If somebody has an alternative opinion, let's just disallow them from being a part of the discourse. And we're never going to do that here. I mean, you know, I could have been a little more rambunctious yesterday toward the caller. But I want to be respectful of people who take the time to listen to this show, who call in and articulate their opinion, however disagreeable it may be. Um, We're a bit hypocritical. If we say one thing and do just the other, let's go to the phone. Here's Steve in Florence. Hello, Steve. Good morning, guys. I
2: think it has to do a lot with the welfare state and the Democrats always trying to give you free stuff. And where's all the women at? You know, the ones that yell at you because your legs are too far apart when you sit down. Where, where are all them at? I don't hear them saying anything about men doing women's sports or even about this topic. You I'll
0: take it off the air. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. You know, the, the one thing we've had, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, about seven or eight callers, every one a man, talking about, you know, the problems with women. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the—I mean, I'm not saying it's a problem. I mean, the women may be making the right decision, the college-educated women in particular. The Democrat may be the candidate. To lead us to a better tomorrow. I mean, the Democrat Party may be the party of ideas and and notions that are going to um, lead America out of the abyss into a better place. The, the joke may be on all of the um all of the men who are voting Republicans. But but women. I mean, it's indisputable that that women are voting in overwhelming percentages in favor of Democrat candidates. Now, Verd is is the consummate optimist. He's always the guy that says, "Yeah, that's then. This is now." I mean, something different about uh, is going, well, maybe, maybe not. But history is not on our side really and truly since 1980. And, and the Democrats have done a really good job of identifying groups of people who have potentially been suppressed or oppressed and saying, um, it's the Republicans who have led you down this road. It's the Republicans that... Uh, it's the Republican's responsibility that you've ended somewhere in life, whether it's broke or destitute or uh, dependent upon others to take care of whatever it is you can't take care of it. The Republican mantra has been, "It's up to you." I mean, that, there, there's a fundamental divide there. The Republicans are not as sympathetic toward government intervening as the Democrats are, and 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 apparently women are more inclined to believe that government does have a role and a responsibility if someone has been suppressed or oppressed or disenfranchised or or taken advantage of. Um, and, And women historically have been suppressed. I mean, no doubt about it. They didn't get the right to vote until 1920. So the country's 235 years old for, you know, better than half the country's existence. Women were not allowed to vote. How do you say a woman has not been suppressed over the long run? Of course they have. Absolutely they have. I mean, a woman lives in a country but can't cast a ballot. I mean, there's there's something uh, oppressive about that just by its very nature. But um, but but we've ended up in a place today for whatever reason, for whatever reason, where a a much higher percentage of women vote for Democrats than they do Republicans, and that is a practical and political reality. Um, and as I said earlier, it may be the best thing. I mean, we may be the stubborn ones. By we, I mean men who are voting, by and large, for um, the Republican candidates. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. When you look at the demographics and you look at, uh, at voter identification, um, it's pretty interesting. Um, the highest percentage, excuse me, the lowest percentage of demo that vote or lean Democrat is white men. 33% of white men lean Democrat. 87% of African-American females lean Democrat. So just imagine you've got a a kind of a line, a graph. On one end of the graph, and I'm talking about Democrat lean, on one end of the graph is the white man. And only about one in three white men identify as a Democrat. nearly 90% of African-American females identify as Democrats. So somewhere in the middle. And here's the problem Republicans have. There is no group of voters other than white men where Republicans garner the majority. African-American females, African-American males, um, uh, white women, all three of those groups vote over 50% or identify over 50% as Democrats. So the Republican Party, remember how many times I say stale, pale, and male I mean, it's really become a very stale, pale and male party. That's why I'm so interested in the J.D. Vance's of the world. Even Dr. Oz, I mean, conservative ink since the 80s, since the Reagan revolution, has not done a very good job of attracting or enticing people other than white men to be as loyal to the Republican Party as it's going to take moving forward. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Morning, Jim.
7: Hey, good morning, guys. So, Ken, I think I'm married to one of those four-year degree-toting, working full-time women. Um, Now, she doesn't have one of those woke college degrees. Hers actually uh, provides for our family. But do you know what we never talk about, Ken? We never talk about abortion. We never talk about gun rights. We never talk about the pay gap or censorship in social media, um, the lack of women CEOs and so on. What we do talk about, Ken, is, you know, who's picking up the kids from daycare? Who's taking off from work to go take one of the kids to the doctor? Um, how it's difficult to find baby formula right now? Uh, how expensive ground beef is? Price of diapers? How I don't want her going to the gas station by herself because it's too dangerous in the PD to pump her own gas as a woman? Um, spending thousands of dollars a month on child care and so on. Uh, we've established and why or we've established that certain segments vote of women vote Democrat. And we've kind of given some reasons why, but what we haven't really discussed and maybe very touched on a little bit is how do we change that? Um, I think the Democrats over the last 50 years have done an excellent job of uh, at least appearing to meet women where they are. Um, it's time the GOP meets women where they are. Um, I think the way we do that is by embracing America first, protecting, The working man and woman from corporations and globalism Uh, i think we need to find real world solutions not socialism style pipe dreams but uh, we need to find real world solutions to help parents um, to uh, address the student loan issue uh, a whole host of things that are are issues for women Uh, we need to provide a real world alternative um, instead of, like I said, that socialistic-style pipe dream. Thank you, Ken.
0: Thank you, Jim. What Jim's arguing is so true, and I've said this. I actually talked to someone over the weekend about this. The, the Republicans are giddy and full of themselves right now because the polling data shows that Hispanics and African-American males and even college-educated edu- women, they're more inclined to be supportive of the Republican brand right now. This is a snapshot. Stick with me for a second. So right now, everybody in America is is fed up with inflation and all these other sorts of forces that are causing life to be uh, complicated, more expensive. You're blaming the Democrats. Biden doesn't look like he can get out of his own way. So Republicans are all of a sudden full of themselves. You know, we told you if you voted for those Democrats, here's what would happen the, the voters are reacting negatively toward republic excuse me, Democrats, but they're not acting positively toward Republicans. And what Jim is talking about is exactly right. We can't be the lesser of two evils. You can't wait around on the Democrats to screw it up and the voter to say, wow, man, that's bad. I'm not voting for that party ever again because they will. We've not offered real world solutions. We've allowed what I call conservative ink. And I'm talking about the National Review and the Wall Street Journal editorial board and the Mitt Romneys and Mitch McConnell's of the world. with all due respect, the Lindsey Graham's of the world, who have really and truly offered no alternatives as to why government should be entrusted uh, to solve the problems of average, everyday Americans. Conservative Inc. has become it's almost like a talking point agenda. Government's too big, spends too much money. Government's too big, spends too much money. Well, when government does spend far too much money, we have rampant inflation. We have meltdowns in the financial sector. We have mortgage rates uh, increasing. We have a lot of problems, uh, the cost of groceries and gas and uh, the things that really affect the American family. And all of a sudden, Mitch McConnell believes that he's the guy that everybody's looking to. No, you win by default. The, The American voter has no more faith in Mitch McConnell than they've ever had. They just see the other side really screwing it up. And they don't believe you'll screw it up quite as bad. And until the Republican Party adjusts its um, b- b- I don't want to say adjust its ballot sheet, but looks at itself introspectively and agrees that, you know, some of these orthodoxies, some of these mindsets that have um, failed to address the needs and concerns of the average American working family, you- you're always going to win by default. Give the Democrats credit. I mean, I disagree with what they try to do because I don't think it works in practical matters. but they have some ideas. They want to forgive student debt. They want to um, um, have a state-run health care system. I mean, as dangerous as those ideas are, they are ideas. Give me a big idea that the Republicans have had in the last 25 years. I mean, tell me something the Republican Party has said, all hands on deck. We're going to try to really do this in the name of making life better for the average American working family. Give me an example. I mean, I'm listening. The Republicans have become the default party. The Democrats try to go down this road of modern monetary theories and socialism and uh, just extravagant expenditures in the name of uh, making the world fairer and better and more equal. And it screws up. It goofs up because it doesn't work. It will never work. And the Republicans gained control of the House, not because they had fabulous ideas or not because they came out with an America first agenda that addressed the genuine concerns of the American people. They're the default party. You know, uh, it's almost like the Republican leadership sits around and says, hey, we'll be back in power in four years because those crazy Democrats will try all these socialist policies and um, and these um." these these programs that are going to drive debt so high we're going to print money and out of that money comes inflation um and we'll sit on the sideline and we'll kind of wait and eventually people to come back to work well i mean go out and sell something create an agenda that that empowers american working families that's what america first is about that's what the, the republican party needs to be about and when you look at dr oz I mean, dr oz is a weird cat He's an extremely different senator. How many knew he's a Muslim? Did anybody? I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a different dude. But I think he's got a decent chance to win in Pennsylvania. You know why? Because he doesn't try to halt conservative ink. He doesn't subscribe to the National Review. He doesn't sit around and wait. I mean, he, yeah, he's a celebrity, and there's no track record of anything he's ever done. But he talks a lot about America first. He talks a lot lot about solution-based government. What does J.D. Vance say? Probably better than anybody on our side. I think Vance is the spokesperson for conservative activism in the name of empowering the American working family better than anybody ever has. But the Republican Party has turned into a party that waits on the Democrats to screw it up so you can get control again. And then what do we do? We give big corporations tax cuts. Let's go
1: to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike. Hey uh, Ken,
8: uh, I think you struck right to the heart of the problem and I think it's an important problem, an extremely important problem is how do you get through to these people if the inflation rate and the price of gasoline, the price of groceries and the shortage of, um, baby formula for that matter, uh, how that is, uh, affects people if that's not going to turn them what is and there's uh there's a different thought process going on i don't know i don't quite understand it i don't know of a group of people that's more put upon than black women over the years and they're uh they 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 will vote democrat almost every chance they get and they It just does not make sense to me. And I think that this is a problem that needs to be solved probably in the next few months. Or we may not have the wave that we thought we would have, the red wave. I I think these people are overconfident if they don't get out there and and, uh, start talking to people and making sure they vote. But it is a serious problem that you can't get through. To college-educated women and to black women, that is uh, a problem that it has befuddled the Republican Party for years. And these these people out there, they I I don't know how they uh, we ha- I don't know how they can find the the how they wrap their minds around this. When the Democrats for years have gone out there and broken something or created a problem, and then they come back and, oh, we have all these committees and programs that are going to put a Band-Aid on it. It's like the physicians 150 years ago. If if, uh, you had the flu, well, the solution was to drain a pint of blood out of you. If you had a tumor, well, the solution was to drain a pint of blood out of you. That, and then they put a Band-Aid on it and uh, you were calmed down and relaxed. But the reason was you were you were being bled to death. And that's exactly what the Democrats are doing to us, like uh, the uh, uh, some of the incompetent f-
0: physicians from 150 200 years ago. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. But but think about this: what Mike said. How do we get through? How do you begin to? What are you trying to sell? I mean, what are we going to argue on behalf of Um, if we believe the Democrats are the reason that gas is so expensive and groceries are so expensive and we have rampant inflation, college is so expensive and the amount of student debt allowed is unbelievable and absurd. What are our programs? What are our plans? What is our agenda? How do we when we look voters in the eyes, what do we tell them we're going to do to make groceries more affordable? to make fuel and energy more affordable we we've never had a plan we've never had a clear concise plan and i think the problem is the republican parties historically kind of married itself to some of these um governing theories and philosophies and and just not been willing to say hey uh, once we get in charge of government we're just going to make it smaller I, i'm a big proponent and advocate and fan of making government smaller I'm also someone who believes that horse has left the barn. We're we're not going back to a day when government is smaller and and limited, mean, we're just simply not. So if we've accepted that, you may not have. I have. If we've accepted that as reality, what is our plan? How do we entice the average working class American to believe our way of operating the government is going to be in your best interest? What are we going to do to make groceries more affordable? What are we going to do to bring manufacturing back to America? What are we going to do to make ourselves more energy independent, therefore gas and fuel be more affordable? But those are the interests that everybody wants to hear answers to. I mean, did, did Amazon pay 3% corporate income tax rate or 13 I don't give a damn. Do you? I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want to pay $100 worth for hundred dollars. I don't want to pay $200 for $100 worth of groceries. I mean, I told you the story. I mean, I went to a restaurant that I frequent. When I go to the beach and, and my good country fried steak entree has gone from 18 to 24, that's a big deal in most of our worlds. I mean, the meal for me, my wife, and three kids, instead of 100 bucks, it's 150 bucks. I mean, I'm not a foodie, and I don't do that a lot. Uh, I told the story, go to the Waffle House. It's $14. Rev said his son texted him yesterday. Gets two hot dogs at seven dollars. Nine. Nine dollars. What is the Republicans? What are the Republicans going to do to address some of these genuine concerns that the average American working family has? Here's the problem with conservatives. Here's the problem with the Republican Party. It's been the default party. We'll let the Democrats get elected because they'll really screw it up. And once they really screw it up. These people realize that we're the lesser of two evils. Are we content being the lesser of two evils?
1: But the interesting thing is if you talk to the Democrats now, the talking point seems to be all the way from President Obama on down is the reason the poll numbers are so bad for Democrats is they haven't gotten their message out. They haven't been able to explain to people the great things they've done. Over the last couple of but years,
0: but nobody believes that. But, but that's I mean, the I, talking point. It's the talking point. But I, I just I'm convinced if you're a, if you're a die hard Democrat, Rev uh, Biden's approval ratings are 37 or 38 percent. Let let's say that's the die hard Of the 38 percent that still support Biden, 20 percent know they're they're lying through their teeth, but they kind of got to take one for the team. I mean, it's a little bit like being a Gamecock fan going to the football game knowing you're getting ready to play number one ranked Alabama. You know, you're sitting there drinking a beer. We got a chance. No, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, every now and then something stupid happens. But you know what happens more times than not? The best team wins. So when the, when the, when the Democrat, when the 38% who say they still support Joe Biden, there isn't but about 10% of Americans that genuinely support what President Biden's trying to do. And these are just diehard, rabid socialists who want to see the entire capitalistic system blow up and destroy itself and rot from within so it can be replaced with something um, other than that. But, but the point I want to make, and I think it's important we understand this, what alternatives or options do we Republicans offer to the American working class family? I mean, we've agreed. I mean, I think America First is kind of banking on that being the bedrock of this movement. That's the people we got to have. I mean, if the if the, if the working class family, the man, woman, and children will agree that this party has its best interest at heart, they'll show at the poll, they'll count white, black, red, green, yellow, doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what socioeconomic background you come from. We're going to be a government that works in your best interest. But we have become, and over the last 30 or 40 years, kind of the party of default. The Democrats screwed it up. Give us a shot. Back in a minute. 843 someone's on the phone let's go there Joe in Hartsville morning Joe
9: yeah good morning guys you know the, the main thing is we've had in the last what 40 years two conservative presidents between Reagan and Trump and the first two years of each one of them's presidency, even the Republicans were against him. I remember George Bush saying that Reagan's economic policy was voodoo economics. You know, that trickle-down thing. Well, in order for all votes to rise, you gotta patch the damn hole in the bottom of the boat. When everybody's bailing the water out, you know, and that's what we're doing now. We're starting to bail water and they don't know how to patch the hole in the bottom of the boat. We need the Republicans to be on the same team because once the boat gets bailed out, then they start arguing over, well, who gets to do this and who gets to do that. Just stick with the conservative principles that work and and the people will see that and, and let them keep governing, but they get all squishy when things get going good, you know, they they start turning democrat light, and people say, well, well, if you're going to do that, might as well vote Democrat. They're going to give me everything. But the, the Republicans, when they take office, they have to fix all of this stuff. I don't want to Make a decision when, when somebody says they're going to kill you. I don't want to negotiate on whether he's going to cut my throat or shoot me. You know what I mean? Y'all have a good one.
0: Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. I mean, Joe's talking about theory and philosophy. Conservatism is, I mean, it works. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But the implementation of conservatism or the supports you need to win offices based on conservative governance has to be practical. What, what is, what, what's in it for me? I mean, the majority of people in America today vote because they believe something's in it for me. If, if you give me an example of conservative policies or conservative theories implemented themselves in government, why does it make my life better? We've got to do a better job of articulating the political theory and the practical way it affects how we live and conduct our daily lives. Take a break. Back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. six 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 one oh nine three seven Dr. Will Bolt, Dr. Scott Kaufman are in studio with us as they always are on Tuesday more well, not always, but most times they're here. Um they do take a lot of time off, but yeah, today
1: they're both here.
0: I want to make sure we all have this um this update, this Apple iPhone update. Fifteen point four is the actual update, it includes the pregnant man emoji. Couldn't do without that. So for you good old boys who think that's the guy with a beer gut. Nope. That's a pregnant dude. Um, that Apple is celebrating with their latest emoji in their software updates. Um, That's what happens when you put these liberals in charge of things. Um, They know no bounds. They know um, no ends. We're back to the Wild West in America. I guess now would be the time for Josie Wells to run for office because we're barefaced traveling. Um, The the, the biomedical tyranny is over. Um, Yesterday, a Trump-appointed judge... um, basically struck down the cdc requirement of mask wearing uh in some of these closed quarters and uh, transportation sectors of the economy um jan saki said yesterday that they didn't intend to enforce and that's kind of a um a white flag as far as i'm concerned saying yep uh maybe this thing is finally over and the um the tyranny ends dr kaufman you guys have been (laughs) tyrannical uh, for long enough. And now we can celebrate that people can fly around in planes without having to wear a mask.
10: I don't call it tyranny, but, but yes. Of course it you is, wouldn't. I would, but <laughs> you is, wouldn't. It is over. Um, can I, you say that again? It's over. Okay. I, I have not heard anything to suggest that the, the Biden administration is going to appeal. So, so. the pandemic is over. Well, I didn't say the pandemic oh, is over. Okay. I said the mask mandate Let's is over. Let's not
0: dare be that um uh, that optimistic about it. But what do you make of that? I mean the um the Trump appointed judge. I figured <laughs> there would be more conversation about the irresponsible yeah. Trump appointed um, judge. Oh.
11: no. Again, it's sometimes the courts can do a uh, the administration of president a favor, and then uh, if you look back to the New Deal, uh, the Supreme Court struck down a couple of New Deal programs which were were failing anyways, and that FDR wanted to get out from under. So the Supreme Court strikes him down, and this allows Roosevelt to rail against the Supreme Court. But privately, he's like, "Oh, thank God, it's out of the way; we can move on." So there's probably a little—I'm sure publicly there's going to be some condemnation of this Trump-appointed judge. That'll sort of be the the line that Biden will like. Privately, um, they're probably just breathing a sigh of relief. Can the most—the
0: most interesting story in America today, to me. I mean, maybe you guys disagree with me, but it's the Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter mm-hmm. and take it private. Now, he's made an uh, offer. Um, as, you know, any hostile takeover would be um, organized. There's been a board of directors. They made kind of a counter move, the uh, the poison pill right. that uh, will allow, if anybody owns more than 15% of the company, the current shareholders can buy at a reduced right. price. That dilutes the share uh, or the, the shares of the one trying to do the hostile takeover. But at the center of this, Doctor and I'll start with you. Is um, is what I believe is censorship. It's not a it's not a freedom of speech issue. It's not a First Amendment issue because it's a private company, and private companies have a right to squelch your speech if you so choose. Um, free speech absolutist or, or anti censorship citizens by, have the right to try and buy as much of the company as they possibly can. But but there there is a lot of, of talk, and I've read a couple of articles recently about the the ruling class narrative. And if anybody um opposes the ruling class narrative, they're going to be treated um by these people who believe they have a right to police the discourse. And and Elon Musk, despite being the wealthiest man in the world, can be stopped by the elitist, the Davos men and women, both Republican and Democrat. Am I reading too much into this or is the is this a ah a story of how corrupt the the political slash media slash corporate world has become.
10: I guess it depends upon your point of view. Um, certainly, you can make the argument that that Twitter is, if you if you take this position, Twitter is violating free speech by saying, well, We're going to decide what is acceptable speech and what is not. But they have a right Uh, to do that. They have a right to do that. But again, you're going to have those individuals who are saying this is part of a broader effort. I'll even use the word conspiracy designed to shut up those individuals who have a certain point of view and that uh, Elon Musk is trying to fight that, trying to protect those rights uh, by, by offering, making this offer to Twitter and then saying we're going to tear down these walls that Twitter has put up and allow for that freedom of speech. Um, one thing I'd be curious to find out is if if he gets his way, um, and then people start tweeting nasty things about Elon Musk, is he going to then say, uh, "Hold on a second, guys, that I'm not going to allow."
0: Dr. Bolt, do you believe that is, is th- this is as? I mean, I, I think it's a big deal. I mean, the reason I think it's a big deal because I think Twitter does censor. I mean, that, once again, I don't think they violate your freedom of speech, the First Amendment, because I don't think they're obligated. Uh, to adhere to those requirements problems, that are no. in the public sector. I mean, the, the government can't do that. The government can't violate your, well, right. uh, they're not <laughs> no, supposed, they're supposed to, to uh, violate right. your freedom of speech. That's a story for another day. But but is this as big, is, do you believe this is as big a story as I think it could be?
11: Yeah, I think there's a lot of, it, it's got some legs. And I think it's a, it's a heck of a business story, uh, a good old-fashioned, you could say urinating contest, arm wrestling match in public, you know, guys, just good old-fashioned, bare-knuckle business politics, again, trying to take over a company that he wants to take in a different direction. There's certainly lots and lots of money to be made, and sort of the old guard trying to do everything they can to put up as many roadblocks as they can. It'll be fascinating to kind of see how it all shakes out in the end, and I'm sure in business textbooks, economic history textbooks, there's going to be a lot written on Elon Musk and what's going on, these past couple of weeks.
0: Dr. Kaufman, there was a comment in the Washington Post about how dangerous it is for wealthy people to buy media outlets. Uh, the Washington Post is was owned by Jeff Bezos, who was at some point in time the richest man in the world, founder and, um, and creator of, um, of Amazon, CEO of, of Amazon. Um, any hypocrisy there when on the page of the Washington Post someone condemns um, uh, the wealthiest man in the world for trying to
10: buy access and control over America's media well the one thing you hope happens, and I, I I'm gonna I believe this is the case, that even though these individuals own these newspapers, they do allow for alternate points of view. I mean you can look at the New York Times and they still have conservatives writing editorials in one guy. I know, some, guy. I know, got I know guy. some people will say, Well, they're not really conservatives, they're they're establishment conservatives, they don't count. Uh, but they do they do still allow that. Uh, it still happens. So that's what I'm hoping will happen. But of course, you're going to have those individuals say, yeah, but wait a minute here. Look what Disney's done to ABC as an example of trying to restrict what is allowed and what is not allowed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely going to be this concern out there. And I think it ties in the broader concern many Americans have about the power of Wall Street over American politics, over this country, and this feeling that. Um, because of Wall Street, because of all this money, that it's corrupting politics and it's taking America down the wrong path, and hence why you need somebody like, yes, I'll say it, to Donald Trump. Should, and I'll stay with you for a second, to get back to Bolt,
0: should, um, should Twitter be regulated as a public utility? Should Facebook be regulated as a public utility?
10: If, I mean, that's a tough question because, um, they are private entities, and generally private corporations do have to abide by certain regulations. I think that as long as these companies are not engaging, it's monopolistic, as long as they're they're not under, not um, allowing for speech that itself would be violations of law, such as promoting violence, things like that, which the Supreme Court has already said you can't do, yell fire in a credit theater, then I think that, that the regulations should be, if any, should be very limited. Um, but certainly there should be some kind of oversight just to make sure that they don't go beyond the limits allowed them.
0: And Dr. Bolt, we're talking about section two hundred and thirty and some of the provisions that give them, um, some cover. I'll ask you this. Um, let's ask it another way. Let's be a little more specific. Um, should Twitter, if Twitter is to be regarded as a public utility, I think Elon Musk calls it the de facto public square. I mean, if it has become the de facto public square, maybe it didn't ask to be that, but it is is. evolved into that. Should we know some of the moderation requirements, some of the algorithms they use that maybe or maybe not leads the American public into believing they are indeed censoring in favor of one
11: political opinion um, at the expense of the other? Yeah, I guess I can see the argument that you're coming from. But again, it, it is it is a business model. And if you if you get into their formula or something, then somebody it's 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 intellectual property. And again, this and back to the point of regulation, the the civil libertarian would say, well, well, no, it's a slippery slope. Once we once we start doing it and reg, and curtailing it, where does it end? Who knows what the next big thing is going to be? I mean, Twitter wasn't on anybody's radar twenty years ago, even ten years ago for most Americans. It's consumed. It's a very important part of every our everyday lives now. But who knows what the next big thing is? And if you sort of put in these these parameters, these roadblocks. You're stifling creativity, and you're going to make it tougher uh, for the next entrepreneur to come around. So, eh.
10: and if I can just add on, to that, one of the, you mentioned the algorithms; those algorithms change. Sure. Um, and how many Americans are going to sit there and try to understand, figure out these algorithms? I mean, I'm not going to sit there and try to figure out how these algorithms work. I have no not understanding of, of 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 computer, you know, how computer programming. I think for a lot of individuals, it's going to be well, they're censoring. But if you ask them, then well, let's look at the algorithms. A lot of Americans are going to say, "I don't have the time to sit down and figure all this out."
0: But somebody will have the time, and they'll have the ability to report to us. I mean, if Musk yeah. buys Twitter, he's made an, a, a pledge to release what the algorithms are and make changes if necessary. I mean, he's made that emphatically, emphatically clear. I want to stay but with there's Musk. So much,
10: but there's so much cynicism out there to begin with. You'd have some people saying. Yeah, but is he being truthful with us? He okay, but, us everything. but, but
0: let, let's use Twitter for an example. Um, now that you want to be argumentative, I try to be respectful. <laughs> um, can Vladimir Putin tweet today? No. I mean, like, can he? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if he wants to, he can. Can Donald Trump tweet today? No, he can't. Does is, is that, is that cause you consternation? I've already said on the radio, as long as somebody doesn't say something that violates the law, let him go ahead and tweet. So so you believe that Twitter, if you think that Twitter, I mean, I'm going
10: to ask you to Twitter. An, I, I, get, I get flack for saying that.
0: But, sure. But, but, yeah. but, but, you know, I mean, I believe Twitter censors. I think the censorship is born out of their algorithms and their their moderating requirements. I've read enough about it to be dangerous. I mean, I'm like you. I don't understand the software. I don't understand the programming. Musk does. I mean, I'm sure he understands it. But um, I mean, he'd be one of those rare guys that understands it and knows how to to deal with it. I want to stay with Musk for a second, and I want to say um, Peter Thiel, Mark Cuban, Doctor Oz, um, J.D. Vance. These non-traditional politicians who are dabbling into the world of politics. Good or bad, as far as you're concerned.
10: I think it's good to always have new ideas out there. Um, now, of course, the question is, are they going to have enough influence to be able to actually win office? But I have no problem with that. I would love to see, for instance, changes to the way we do financing of campaigns to allow individuals who don't have a lot of financial means to be able to enter races because they probably have very good ideas that, unfortunately, we don't get a chance to hear. Do you believe, uh, Dr. Bolt,
0: the duopoly has... Um, lived its life. The, and I'm talking about the, the Republican-Democrat dynamic. And I know the two-party system has been kind of a bedrock and a thick pin. We're sitting there, he throws something at me for even <laughs> insinuating the two-party system has outlived its existence. But when you see these disruptive personalities, and I'm talking about Elon Musk or, or Peter Thiel or Mark Cuban uh, kind of on the other side, it leads me to believe that people are so distrustful and disenchanted with business as usual. They're willing to give some of these I mean, Till, Till actually admits that he is an anarcho-capitalist, <laughs> uh, somebody always trying to reconcile anarchy and capitalism. The American public seem to have an appetite right. for those sorts of figures today. Is it because they just feel the two-party system has failed um, and kind of run its
11: course? Well, I gotta, why are there so many outside-of-the-box individuals getting traction? Well, American people think the system is broken. It's not responding to them anymore so you got to think outside of the box i mean and if you think the the great hero for many americans ronald reagan got into politics late in life and was a, a b-movie actor from hollywood turned out to be a very successful very good politician regarded as a a very good president so yes there is sort of uh precedent is on the side for a lot of these guys and yeah, it's, it's not business as usual the american people are just fed up with the guys both left and right democrats republicans these guys, these fancy guys and women, we've we've heard the same thing, the talking points, time and time again. Again, sort of like a J.D. Vance in Ohio, right? Who's on the brink, probably going to win a Senate seat over there, and certainly President Trump came from kind of out of nowhere. So, right, it is a testament that many people are just upset that the government isn't responding anymore. It's it's left them behind, and into this vacuum, sort of outside of the box, creative guys, men and women have popped up, and this is the new norm, I think.
0: Not a compliment, isn't this kind of pervasive around the Western world? I mean, in many, many elections and in France, I mean, that Le Pen, Marine uh, yeah, Le Pen yeah. I mean, she, she got a, a high percentage of the vote. Yes. I mean, not the most, but I think she's going to be in a runoff now. She the the yes. establishment or elites are attacking her on some things she's done uh, previously. But but it seems the Western world has become very disenchanted with what I'll call status quo uh, political leadership.
10: Well, we're seeing some some places like yes, we're seeing that in some areas. In most areas. Um, I, well, but I look at places like Australia. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Scott Morrison's in trouble down there. Uh, he's facing another establishment candidate. Um, you could argue Boris Johnson shook things up in, in England, but I'm not sure how much of a shakeup that's actually going to turn out to be. I just want to find out. I mean, England, yes, they, they, they left the European Union. Um, but Pretty big shakeup. It is, it is, but, again, uh, the long-term effects. What will the long-term effects be? I'm not so sure. Um, how long, what will, what will the effects be down here? I don't know. We are seeing these individuals coming, you know, getting some, some traction, but will it be enough traction to win office? And once they win office, will they in fact be, be disruptors or will they become part of the establishment? We can look back in history at the Watergate babies, for instance, or we can look at the the Republican Revolution of 1996. These were all people are supposed to be disruptors, yet they they became part of the establishment. And then once again, Americans began saying, "My gosh, we elected you to change things. Nothing's changed. What the heck is going on?"
0: But Dr. Bolt, Trump is the impetus for all this. I mean, wh- well, you know, whether he and Teal, I mean, he and Teal share a lot of um energies because I mean, they, they're they're allies. I mean, there's no doubt about this. Musk has not let it be known whether he supports Trump or not. I mean, he's kind of a um, he's almost a political island. And an economic element, the richest man in the world, can be that yep. if he chooses to be that. But but when you look at um, these figures, they do seem to more align with the current kind of Republican, you know, um, make America great again, sure. let's do right First. by the American people, um, The what I'll call the non-interventionist, non-internationalist mindset. Yep. I mean, no, is, is that something you would agree with? I think
11: that's, that's the pathway. That's the, the best track. Again, you, beforehand, you sort of had to. You moved incrementally in politics, and you certainly know this, right? You know, the school board, county office, maybe mayor of state legislature, in the box, politicians. It, exactly, right? You know, just it's 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 another rung on the ladder. Nowadays, you wake up today and say, "Well, heck of this! I'm not. I'm I'm going to jump to the front of the line. I want to run for a seat uh, in the in the House of Representatives or in the in the state legislature. I'm going to forget about that." And again, the smarter, the path of least resistance. Right now, there's lots of support for sort of this this Trumpian America First movement. Again, it cuts across party lines. You can get working class Democrats can embrace some of these ideas. The social cultural issues resonate across party lines as well. So it's a smart thing to do politically. Absolutely. Uh,
0: I want to come back. I want to take a break, come back. You guys sure. can hang around one more segment, sure. I hope. Um, and I want to talk about the uh, the generic Democrat, generic Republican. I've got some information here I've held in my pocket for Kaufman when he gets here. Cause I want to see him jump out of a window, not a, not a, not a 10th floor window, <laughs> but just the first, first or second floor window. <laughs> Pennsylvania is an interesting case of what's happening right now. As we speak in American politics, take a break back in a minute. Kind of an interesting debate off the air. Um, Dr. Kaufman, myself, Rev and Dr. Uh, Bolt were talking about a second ago. Um, Dr. Oz, so a lot of doctors in there um <laughs> and uh, you know he's in pennsylvania he's running for the senate seat he is a um a transcendent transcendental meditationist he is a, a muslim of the what is the name of the, the sufi, sufi the sufi. sufi sect um you got sufi and sunni um he is a of uh, turkish immigrant um he's a, just a, a very complicated guy and the two of you are asking, so you believe that the construction worker in western Pennsylvania will go to the poll and cast a ballot for this guy once they learn more and more about him? And, and I'm telling you that there's a, there's a degree of simpleton. It's not stupid. It's not stupidity at all. But it's, 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 um, I think there's a, a Republican voter out there in every state in America that are tired of the sophistication. Are tired of the complication. These things can't be that damn complicated nor sophisticated. Dr. Oz said taking hydrochloric cream was okay. Dr. Oz says the, uh, the establishment is trying to screw everybody. That's good enough for me. And, um, and I'm not saying that's an indictment on the Republican base, but it's does it surprise you, Dr. Kaufman, that Oz has a chance to win in Pennsylvania? Because I kind of chuckle when I say, um, I think he has a, a 50% chance to be the Republican nominee
10: and a member of the US Senate. Initially I was. Um, but the poll numbers tell a different story. But well, we kinda laughed at Trump. Yeah. But well, I mean, a lot of people did yeah. when Trump announced. And, and I mean, he's got he has some traction there. I know the establishment Republicans were furious with Trump when he when he endorsed Oz, uh, but he has some traction, so we'll we'll see how long he can carry this. Maybe he can carry it all the way to to a victory for the Republican nomination, than for the for the seat. Dr. Bolt, in Pennsylvania, there's a conversion
0: rate, and and I've said it before that at the end of the day, politics is about theories and philosophies and ideas and campaigns and visions, but it's math. I mean, it really boils down to can I get more votes than my opponent? There's a conversion uh, rate in Pennsylvania that has historically been one for one, for every Democrat that converts to a Republican. There's a Republican that converts to a Democrat. I mean, it's been as high as one point four at times. One point four Republicans convert, one point to every one Democrat, you know, and then it kinda ebbs and flows and swings back and forth. Right now that number's four to one. Wow. Conversion to Republican from Democrat in a blue state, that's gotta be very very problematic, not just in Pennsylvania right. because that's not an antiseptic event. That's probably happening all oh, over really? the country.
11: Right. That's very that's very alarming. That's if I were a Democrat, I'd probably be horrified by those. north. But the Pennsylvania Senate race is probably going to be just ground zero. And You're going to have just carpet bomb. It'll be the most expensive race. Uh, the lieutenant governor who looks like he has the inside track for the Democratic nod. Big burly guy, very very progressive. And so you know you got and in, in, but in he's cons- got a certain flavor about so, him. There, there's a personality exactly. there that'll he's, be relatable. Dare I say he's almost a, a, the Democratic version of Trump. You know, in a, in a he, way, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of, an outside a very very rough, uncouth if you will uh, <laughs> not non-traditional he's going to speak his mind he's the guy who the the speech writers the handlers are are sweating bullets whenever he's got a live mic in from Like, oh no what's he going to say at this point much like president trump you never knew what he was going to say and sometimes it was hey it was gold for for guys in your line of work
0: dr comp sure. <laughs> and i'm um, in, in new jersey something similar to this is happening it doesn't matter i mean there can't be enough conversions in new jersey to make it red um arizona it's about 3.5 to one Georgia. It's about 3.25 to one. I mean, this is an indictment on the Biden administration. I mean, I'm not saying the Democrats have lost their way, but Joe Biden appears to be failing and uniting a party, um, getting ready for midterms. And if it were 1984 again, um, I would argue there would be more than 54 seats change hands, but we've done even more gerrymandering today than there was then. Uh I think the high water mark is probably twenty eight or thirty seats flip from Democrat to Republican. Um the polling is better now than it was in eighty four when fifty four uh-huh. seats, but the redistricting I think has right. taken care of a lot of that. Um is there anything the Democrats can do to 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 kind of um is there a Hail Mary they can throw in the next four, or five, six months, that you think gives them a chance to to not get slaughtered in the no. midterms,
10: <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard for me to find one. I, I mean the the transportation infrastructure bill, which is which they hope is going to bring a lot of jobs and improve the economy of the country, really well. We won't see the effects of that till probably twenty twenty four. The I don't see inflation, at least in the foreseeable future, reducing to a, falling to a point where. Uh, Americans feel better about going to the grocery store, or going to the gas station. Uh, the the Democrats really have no vision. They've provided. They're at war with themselves. They can't seem to get their act straight. Um, you know, maybe something comes along that I'm not aware of. Um, but right now, they're in serious trouble.
0: So there's a good chance, Doctor Bolt, that Herschel Walker is a <laughs> senator from Georgia. Yeah. J.D. Vance is a senator oh, from Ohio. Yeah. And Dr. Oz is a senator from <laughs> from Pennsylvania. What does that say to the state of American politics, or about the state of American politics? But right? I mean, is that good or bad?
11: That depends. On, depends on how you want to look at it. It's it's for political historians. This is something we're going to go back and study. For where when did this become acceptable? And when did why are so, so many outsiders all of a sudden now uh, gaining traction and winning in big 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 states, Georgia, Pennsylvania? Uh, Ohio. I mean, these are these are the traditional battleground states where the can both sides would have the good competent candidates. And so again, now just Herschel Walker, former NFL player, uh, Doctor Oz, J.D. Vance, an author, now kind of coming to the fore. It's sort of it's it's a a sign of what's to come, probably. Is in there is politics. there a precedent here?
0: Has there ever been a time in American history where we were so disenchanted, Is the word I keep using with the status quo with the American political elite?
11: No, probably not. Where you've just had so many outsiders coming out, and again, the the fact that why it's going to be a big big year for the Republicans. A lot of safe Democrats are stepping down; they're retiring, and so seats that would not have been in play are now suddenly a coin toss. And so again, if there is this big big rave wave, as we're predicting, a lot of these open seats and probably some Democrats who usually win by four or five points uh, are going to wake up that Wednesday morning. It's like, uh oh. Did not see this coming.
0: Dr. Kaufman, better than 50% chance that in January of 2023, we have Senator Herschel Walker, Senator J.D. Vance, and Senator, um, is it Melmont? I mean, is his first name Melmont M- Oz? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, is it you, Nimitz, think it's you think it's better it than 50 percent or dr yeah. senator Oz? i don't know <laughs> that would be that'd be interesting yeah. we'll have to get that uh uh we'll have to get clarification on that but but better or less than 50 percent that those three are in the u.s senate the fact that you said
10: and okay. um i would say probably not i think there's gonna be at least one surprise surprise there based upon the num even with the numbers we're talking about Um. Uh, but i would not be surprised at least two of those went Republican, given how things are going right now. But if you use the macro and you just said that the Democrats have
0: big, big mm-hmm. trouble, I don't think they win Pennsylvania. I don't think they win Georgia. Um, the um, I think Ryan's the Democrat in Ohio. He's a credible mm-hmm. candidate, but I'm telling you, things are just trending well, so dramatically to the Republicans'
10: favor. Let me remind you of something okay. that I talked about back in 2016. I was asked to say, that Hillary Clinton's victory was inevitable. You were? And I said, I am not going to say that because you never know what's going to happen. You were chastised at an academic for saying that. I was. <laughs> and look what happened. So I am not going to say that it's an, that it's going to happen. I think the chances are good that at least two of those seats will be won. But I still think, and I'm not going to say which state it is because I don't know, I think that probably one of those will end up going Democrat, um I think Walker may be in more trouble in Georgia than than we were hearing about.
0: Did you well, ever see him run the 40? <laughs> <laughs> How do you say he's in trouble when he's I, a he's a football hero under- in Georgia?
10: I understand that, but he's also not his campaign may be having some some issues down there from what I'm what I'm reading. So we'll have to see. But um I think two of those three probably go Trump's way on Trump's way. Go yeah. oh, way okay. Well, but he's endorsing well, he them. No he's no endorsing question. them. They these go are his all, way, and
0: that's why I chose these three.
10: Yeah, I, I mean, mean these have been endorsed way. by Donald Trump. So, and and we'll have to see. um I, I again, it's it'll be interesting to see what what happens. I want to
11: read some. Go ahead, Doctor. I'm sorry. The, the Pennsylvania one is the is the wild card If there's any area where the Democrats can kind of play their shenanigans, you know, they can have a little fun with votes, if you will. We tiptoe how I say it, uh, the Philadelphia area, the, the, the Democrats have some tricks up their sleeves down there. But I don't think they have $30 million like <laughs> they did in 2016
0: yeah. to make sure the numbers come out as they did. I want to read a statement from uh, President Donald Trump, former President Trump, and, and get your take on this or both of your takes on this as we conclude this academic setting or this academic session of Wake Up Carolina. Um this is from Donald Trump. You ready? I mean, it's read. T- somebody took the um, the the email and put it on Twitter. I mean, he can't tweet. Putin can. Uh, I totally can, but Trump can't. Uh, but they don't censor. It's just, you know, mm. them looking after uh, the goodwill of humanity. Um, you ready? It doesn't make sense that Russia and Ukraine aren't sitting down and working out some sort of agreement. It should be figured out now, not later, when everyone will be dead. That's from Save America Super PAC, April 18th. Uh, 2022 um, in in a very simplistic fashion as he usually does in a very uh, brutally honest accounting. Uh, Trump says we've got to get Russia and Ukraine to sit down and work out some sort of agreement now because later everyone will be dead. Um, it's not as simple as he makes it sound. No, but is there any interest? Do you believe in the leaders of Ukraine and the uh, I guess the Putin administration? sitting down and coming up with some sort of resolution before more and more innocent people are killed.
10: No, and the Putin administration, Putin's already made it clear that negotiations at this point are dead. So I don't see anything happening in the, in the foreseeable future. Putin is going to continue this offensive in the East until he gets what he wants. Uh, and nego- he, will, he will not accept negotiations unless Ukraine gives him everything he, d- he demands, which the Ukrainians have said, no, they will not give him. Is Putin guilty of war crimes? Yes. And are they practicing genocide? War crimes, yes. Genocide, I think, is a, a different issue here. Okay. Um, is there a policy to actually wipe out a group of people? I think we'd have a harder time getting him on genocide, but definitely war crimes.
0: But but he would argue, Dr. Bolt, that he's not committing war crimes because these are mercenaries. These are not, yeah. you know, <laughs> actual, you know, Russian troops that are committing all these atrocities. And if genocide is indeed um, happening, it's being carried out by some of these mercenary hired guns. You know, I mean, America has contract um, yeah, killers. We exactly. know that. So Russians would be no different. And the majority of uh, human atrocities, he says, have been committed not by Russian troops, but by some yeah. of these um, employed
11: mercenaries. ex guy kind of sounded like a lawyer, if you ask me. It's kind of like a Kennedy in the, the Bay of Pigs, or the, excuse me, the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's not a blockade. It's actually a quarantine, right? So it's it's you, you can kind of spin it any way you want. It's certainly not a good look, and I'm sure history is not going to have a a kind opinion of Mr. Putin. But is
0: he guilty of war
11: crimes? Again, I don't know. I don't. It depends on how you want to define. You can get a bunch of academics, and you're probably going to get 20 different definitions of what absolutely constitutes a war crime. Based on from what I see just on the television, uh, I'm, I would. It wouldn't take much to convince me that yes,
10: he's used cluster bombs. He has attacked civilian locations, willingly attacked them with missiles that are coming from Russia. These are not coming from mercenaries. These are violations of of rules of engagement. They are a war crime. There have been innocent people killed in the hundreds, if not thousands, and put in mass graves. He is a war criminal. Okay. So, period. so uh, what happens to a war criminal? Well, that's the other issue. How do you get him and bring him to justice? That is a much- different and much tougher issues.
0: So symbolism, I mean, is that is that a fair accounting? I mean, th- this is symbolic in nature for American to yell or the Western world to yell and scream war criminal, war criminal, war criminal, when you know there is no way
10: to, to prosecute him for war crimes? Well, we did the same thing with Slobodan Milosevic, and we were able to get him, but only because his own people turned against him. Um, it would restrict uh, Putin's ability to leave the country for fear that he could be out of fear that he could be himself be arrested, although I'm not even sure he would be willing to do that. Why would you leave the country in which you run? Everything? Exactly, exactly. And, and of course, if you arrest the guy, then do you ramp up? Is that a provocative event that could lead to to something even far it, worse? It's almost like so, we hope
0: that one day he craves New York cheesecake and gets on one of his (laughs) private planes and and flies to LaGuardia and we catch him at the airport i mean you're you're dealing with a i just don't understand the um the ambition
10: to continue to try and call him a war criminal when you know there's absolutely zero chance he'll ever be prosecuted but again if you don't say that then what are you doing you're essentially condoning what he's what's what's happening yeah i guess thanks to both of you thank Thank you. you we'll take a break we'll be back in just a couple of minutes
0: Kind of an interesting piece of political news that has flown under the radar. Nobody's talked much about ourselves included, but Wall Street investor, I guess Wall Street veteran, uh, Nelson Pales hosted a fundraiser in Florida that included Ken Langone, Home Depot founder, along with Arthur Blank. Um, I'm trying to think of some others. Uh, the Oracle CEO was there. I mean, it's the big wigs of Wall Street, the hot shots, um, the uber wealthy. Uh, 50 donors were there. Forty-eight of the fifty have historically supported uh, Republican candidates, but the fundraiser was held at the home of Nelson Pells for Joe Manchin. Huh? And this group—what do you um, make of that? Well, this group of Wall Street sophisticates who have made enormous amounts of money are trying to convince—trying um, uh, to convince—Manchin to switch parties and run as a Republican for president not just switch parties and become or remain a senator in West Virginia. Yeah, one of the interesting arguments, and I've heard Langone say this, uh, he, along with uh, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank, uh, founded Home Depot. They became enormously wealthy, and Langone has been very outspoken in his support of Donald Trump, and he still supports the America First agenda, uh, so he says, Um, but he's still a Wall Streeter. He's an insider um Langone Capital if I'm not mistaken um, he's given a lot of money to healthcare in the state of New York City in New York City in particular there's the Langone wing of the the Catholic Hospital of the Jewish Hospital or the New York City New York University Hospital but um yeah the fundraiser they had in Florida at Nelson Pell's home included some of the biggest donors of the GOP some of the Trump supporters but they don't believe a Republican can beat Joe Biden in 2024 they think if Biden runs again he'll win again now now once again I I don't agree with them but they put their money where their mouth is this was a $5,000 a plate fundraiser so five and five $250,000 they um they drummed up quarter of a million bucks for dinner isn't bad if you're a senator from West Virginia but they're trying to convince Joe Manchin to switch parties and run as a Republican for president not the Senate in West Virginia and I think Manchin would switch parties today if McConnell would tell him that you're you know you won't have a primary opponent and I think his big concern is um, obviously as a career Democrat running in West Virginia um, you switch parties you get a uh, a reputable you know lifelong Republican running against you there's some um, do I trust you or do I not so if Manchin were to get a free pass in the Republican primary I think he'd switch parties today but he can't be given that guarantee. I mean, nobody can guarantee you that. I mean, if I'm the, um, if I'm the, the, the House member from West Virginia or the, the lieutenant governor of West Virginia or an um, attorney general in West Virginia, um, I'm going to seize the opportunity to become a U.S. senator. So I'm not going to let Manchin switch parties and the terms and conditions be dictated by the National Party in Washington. In other words, McConnell can't tell Manchin that will clear the deck for you. We'll make sure you don't have a primary opponent. Mention, excuse me, McConnell would love that because he'd become majority leader with that simple um, switch. But I think McConnell's at least being a man of his word, saying, I can't make you that pledge. I can't commit to you that nobody will primary you in West Virginia because I don't run the state of West Virginia. I just run all the other 49 <laughs> states in America, but not uh, the state in which you have from. And I wonder why some of,
1: those, uh, some of those guys think that a Republican can't beat Joe Biden in 2024.
0: I think they're wrong. I think they're living in that Wall Street bubble. Um, well, I mean, think about it, Rev. If you live in a Wall Street life, um, life has been very lucrative and good. It's not as broken in Wall Street as it is on Main Street. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 is our number. There's an interesting article in the American Conservative about Dr. Oz. And it basically says and it implies and, and I, i've tried to suggest this to our listeners that the majority of inf—I do this is not an infatuation but the majority of appeal that some of these candidates have with uh, the rank and file american uh, republican voter i'll give an example so oz is running against um this guy's name mccormick yeah dave uh dave mccormick in pennsylvania mccormick worked for george w bush his wife worked for george w bush his wife is currently employed, as you would imagine, at Goldman Sachs, because that's what you do after you leave work with the Bushes or or the Romneys or the McCain's or uh, the the Clintons or the the Obamas. So he somebody would be do you, the establishment well, candidate, very much the establishment candidate. But um, but McCormick's at about twenty percent. The poll Oz is about twenty three percent. And 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 once again, you're talking about the construction worker in Western Pennsylvania going to the poll, voting for somebody who's a, um, a Sufi Muslim um a transhumanist at times. Um, he's dabbled in um, transcendental meditation. It's just not a guy that you would expect to beat someone. But but to me the the takeaway there is the disgust. And that's the only word I can come up with. The disgust, you're already nodding your head here. The disgust the mm-hmm. Republican voter have with that um that elitist you know, establishment Republican candidates. Republican Inc.? Yeah. To I mean, use your term conservative Inc. Inc. I conservative think that's what Inc. we called yep. it. You know, you um, you leave wherever it is you are. You go to work for Romney or McCain or Bush. You leave there and you go to work at Sachs or J.P. Morgan or BlackRock or somewhere. And you're set for life. And at some point in time, after you make enough money to be financially independent, you dabble back into the self-gratifying world of politics. So you've got J.D. Vance. And, uh, and you've got, Dr. Oz is so unique and different. There's nothing about Vance that's going to freak the Republican primary voter out. There's some things about Oz that I would imagine McCormick will shine a bright light on, but here's the issue, and I guess the, the people of Pennsylvania will decide this. Are you more bothered that Oz is a Muslim and a, um, has kind of made transcendental meditation a big part of his life, or are you more bothered by the fact that McCormick worked for, uh, Bush and Goldman Sachs. And I'll tell you what I think. I think as long as Oz continues to say that China on the ascent is, uh, is America on the descent by just by, um, by its very nature, the very nature of China ascending and America becoming a nation in decline and the hollowing out of the American working class. I mean, Oz has talked a little bit, uh, not extensively, but he's talked a little bit about the America First agenda in a very relatable fashion. The guy's no idiot. I mean, he's a cardiothoracic surgeon. He also has a degree from Wharton School of Finance. So he's a highly educated wow. and accomplished I didn't know that. Uh, man. Yeah, I mean, he's extremely educated and extremely accomplished. But but for whatever reason, now Trump's reasoning was weird. Uh, maybe not. Trump said the reason he endorsed Oz was he believes he's going to win. And the reason he believes he's going to win, he has stayed popular on television for 18 years. <laughs> I and mean, worked for Trump. Only Trump would see things through that lens. But it has worked for Oz, and it did work for Trump. But but the point I want to make is you got McCormick, who is as, um, I don't know, he's got all the bona fides, worked at Goldman, worked for Bush. His wife worked for Bush. His wife now works at Goldman. And, and you've got this guy who's a um, a, a meditating Muslim. And the people of Pennsylvania may choose the meditating Muslim over the guy that worked for Bush and and Goldman Sachs. Uh, And once again, Oz is different than Vance because Vance would be more uh, less controversial. Vance would be, I mean, to me, Vance is the likely suspect for carrying the America First agenda uh, uh, more forward and more forward and more forward. Here's what nobody's counting on that I'm going to predict we're going to end up being uh, involved in. Uh, now but we'll be involved in. It's interesting to me that Trump has endorsed all of these candidates. There's one candidate I think the bigger story is who he has not endorsed. You know the one candidate Donald Trump has not endorsed. One well, I mean, of he's not endorsed a lot of candidates, but the one candidate that makes the most sense to have endorsed, but he has not, and he's chosen not to. Is Ron DeSantis, and I think there's mm. a I think there's a uh, uh, there's something heading our way that is going to define this DeSantis Trump, um, phenomenon because we believe that DeSantis, I think most Americans believe that DeSantis has become uh, Trump 2.0 more so than anybody else. Um, the weekly standard, excuse me, the weekly standard has gone out of business. National Review has an interesting article about, um, four scenarios that could potentially play themselves out if Trump and, um, and DeSantis are, involved in um where the party goes from here and they offer one uh health troubles they basically say trump is 75 he's under constant stress most of it uh in business people's world you can relate to this is self-generated um uh, more than one attending physician have labeled him as obese um he says he's in great health i don't know if he is or not his mind seems to be as sharp as it ever was and he's coherent the way he, you know, speaks about whatever political issue he's trying to talk about um, that that's, there's a low percentage of that happening. In other words, if Trump and DeSantis end up in a fight for the Republican nomination in 2024, which will begin in 23, it'll begin in earnest after uh, the 2022 midterms. I mean, that's when the presidential campaign begins. Um, So health troubles are one thing to consider. Um, Trump graciously stepping aside uh, um, <laughs> not that, that's happen. a big negative there. Yeah. Um, that's just not going to happen. Um, DeSantis defers gracefully to his mentor, you know, Trump being looked at as kind of, um, I mean, Trump 1.0 DeSantis is Trump 2.0. Um, I guess, acknowledging the political debt he owes, um, to Donald Trump. Uh, I, I don't believe that'll happen. I think it's more likely that we end up in a um kind of a uh, a high speed collision, really? uh, a Republican nominating process. Is that, that includes, good for America first? Uh, uh, yes, I think it is. I think spirited debates always good. I mean, I think uh, that there was a day I thought that nobody could win except Trump. Um, but I'm beginning to sense that by 2024, um, DeSantis could have a realistic chance at beating Donald Trump in the Republican primary. Haley will tell me I'm crazy. 'Cause he's the pollster. I mean he knows the numbers. He's seen uh the math. Um and maybe DeSantis as ambitious as he is, says, I mean if J.D. Vance wins, if um if Dr. Oz wins, if um Blake Masters wins, if ah if Russell Fry wins, if Katie Arrington wins, if um, give me another example of a, of a kind of a high profile endorsement. I just think he wasted his time on if, Kemp. If Liz in Cheney loses, if Liz Cheney loses, if Herschel Walker wins, and I'm not talking about just win the nomination. I'm talking about winning the, the the general election. Because if those guys win, let's say Oz wins the the Republican primary, but he loses the general, then the consensus will be Trump endorses guys that can't win. He endorses ladies that can't win yeah Herschel Walker can win a primary but we should have known he couldn't win a general election in Georgia the same thing with JD Vance uh, JD's less than that I mean I think I think JD's far less of a novelty candidate than uh, either dr. Oz or Herschel Walker I think Vance and Blake Masters have never been perceived as celebrities I mean they are to some degree Vance wrote a book becomes a movie he's kind of caught up in the promoting Or the promotions of that but i don't think blake masters nor jd vance went looking to be a celebrity i think walker's a celebrity because of his football fame it's obvious dr oz seeked celebrity them and found it um but yeah i think there's a a a very uh i don't want to say a great chance i think there's a real good chance that desantis is going to run i think there's a good chance that trump considers running and um and i think if desantis is seriously considering running and all of those things happen in other words, Cheney loses, Rice loses, um, Walker wins, Vance wins, um, Dr. Oz wins. I think DeSantis has to say somebody better get in his ear and say, "Hey, dude, this cat's got as much sway over the party as he's ever had." I see what you're, uh, I see where you're headed. You know, out of sight, out of mind. 2016 was a long time ago, but look at what happened in the midterms. So I think somebody who needs to, and I'm sure they are, paying real close attention to the midterms is Ron DeSantis, and if Trump struggles and limps along a little bit, I think DeSantis is absolutely the front-runner as we head into 2024. If Trump, if these things break Trump's way and he wins, and he's going to gain the benefit by Democrats having trouble. I mean, you heard Dr. Coppin say there's no scenario he sees that changing by this coming November, then Trump could be a, a bigger deal than maybe he really is, because once again, the Democrats are so underwater. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hello, David. Good morning, Doctor Baker. Good morning, Doctor
6: Ards. Uh, did Ken? Did you say that sixty percent of college students are female these days? Correct. Maybe it's time for me to go back to school. Uh, you remember that movie, right,
0: Rodney Dangerfield? Back to school. I do remember. It. I'll <laughs> tell you, my, my, school, my problem well, with my problem with college was Converse College was one hundred percent female. So was Columbia college back in the day. Now I don't, I, man,
6: when I went to USC, I don't remember it being that many guys. What I mean, especially business school, there was girls there. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing that they didn't teach you about in business school, they didn't teach you about no impact fee or permits or mergers or golden parachutes. Um, but anyway, we had these I mean classes, I guess it was economics, uh, risk management, accounting, marketing, that type of stuff. But I really enjoyed what – and, and I, I guess your children, and the stuff they went to USD is these electives is what they call it. And then I, I went to the English class and uh, political science. You won't believe this. My political science professor ran for president from the Green Party later on. And there was another – a class that was called vocabulary and semantics, and good lord, the Jim Sockies and the Jake Sullivans—I mean, the people that 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 can take these words and and make it into such positive things—I uh, think they went to that. So those are two classes. Make sure you go to a political science class, vocabulary, and semantics. But you're talking about women in politics. Can 1992? They call it the Year of the Woman and and i remember that because if you remember the Clarence Thomas hearings you had Anita Hill and the whole thing beyond was about that was you had all these old white men looking down on a black female and i can name these Strom was there Strom Thurmond Joe Biden was there uh Ted Kennedy there was a guy named Howard Heflin uh all inspector um I mean, all these people were there, and, and I don't blame. If I'm a black female, that would bother me. I mean, to see all these old white men looking over me. Now, you can, you know, figure out what the credibility of Anita Hill was. But the Democrats, hey, they have done an awesome job of taking that narrative. And, and I watched George Stephanopoulos. Guess what? He was back there in 1992, he was part of that Clinton campaign. But I saw Donna Brazil. John, Donna Brazil looks like a classmate of mine. And when I hear her talk about a Putin price hike, uh, gas prices are going down. We, ain't, we got deficit reduction. I think she said something about all-time low employment, unemployment, first black female justice. If I'm a black female, I, that's, I'm all over that. And then when you watch this, you see her. I think there was two other ladies on the show. And who's defending Republicans? Chris Christie? Good Lord, man. That, he, he ain't easy on the eye if I'm a female. Uh, so you look at the Democrats. They've done a great job. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, AOC, Kamala Harris. If I'm a female and I'm just trying to watch TV, you know, to the, the, the get myself into watching media, and I see these people,
0: no wonder I wouldn't vote Democrat. I'll leave you at that. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You know, a lot of the energy within the Republican Party and the reason that I think, uh, I mean, the reason I guess I stay optimistic about America first is the message is not being carried by, you know, the guy in the uniform. And by the uniform, I mean the black suit and the red tie. I mean, these people have a little bit of swagger about them. There's something unique about Blake Masters. There's something unique about Dr. Oz. I mean, you can like these guys or not, and ladies for that matter, that there's something different. About these people and I think it's it's interesting DeSantis um, I mean when you look at what DeSantis has done um, I mean it's probably as solid a first-term record as any governor in America I mean when you really think about I mean it's almost like you you forget about all he's done until you start really accounting for what he's done Um, he became basically the face of Fauci resistance right I mean every time he turned around Um, Fauci was saying one thing and DeSantis was saying, no, we're not going to do that. And legislatively or or via executive order, he would address some of the concerns um, there. Remember how he um, defunded the police and DeSantis created, um, you know, extra funding in the state's government to make sure um, law enforcement was well funded. So there was kind of an action agenda that he had.
1: Um, he pushed back on big tech that be, were going to ban some of the candidates
0: for office in w- Florida, right? Abortion. I mean, he was as pro-life a governor as anybody in America. Yeah. So he was kind of a um, a scrappy warrior when it came to some of these issues uh, dealing with Disney. It took Disney on in this culture right. uh, battle. In other words, the the pro-family side uh, the, of the Walt Disney Company, DeSantis, has become somewhat of a... Um, Uh, A celebrity or a hero when it comes to that. Um, Remember some of the, um, what I refer to as gender theorizing in the K-12 through education system. And DeSantis said, you know, in in Florida, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, in Florida, girls are going to be girls and boys are going to be boys. And we're going to call boys boys and call girls girls. Um, I I just think when you really settle it, I mean, when when you begin to contemplate, uh, there's no doubt that Trump is a political force of nature. And that's going to always be the case until he decides to no longer be involved in the world of politics. But I think when you really begin contemplating 2024, um, DeSantis is probably in a better position than Trump. And I never in a million years believed that anybody, we're all going to wait on Trump. And I understand the loyalty that most of our listeners have with Trump. I'm not going to even ask the question, If given the opportunity in 2024 to vote for Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, who would you vote for? I know who wins that. I mean, there is no question in my mind Trump wins that probably 70-30, but it's not 90-10. And it was 90-10. I think there are a lot of Republicans that want Trump to be the, the irritant. I mean, they want him involved in every campaign in America. They want him in Myrtle Beach every weekend. When he's not in Myrtle Beach, they want him in Wyoming. When he's not in Wyoming, they want him in Columbus. When he's not in Columbus, they want him in Pennsylvania. Why? To antagonize, to turn everything into a street fight. Leave Myrtle Beach street fight. Go to um to Arizona. Excuse me. Go to um uh, Wyoming and start a street fight on behalf of whomever um, is running against Liz Cheney. When you leave there, fly to Columbus or Cincinnati or Cleveland and stir it up there in the name of J.D. Vance, whom you've endorsed. When you leave there, pay Oz in Pennsylvania a visit. DeSantis does not have that swagger. I mean, there's no doubt. Ron DeSantis showing up in Wyoming ain't like Donald Trump showing up in Wyoming. Ron DeSantis showing up in, um, in Myrtle Beach is not the same, or Florence, for that matter, is not the same as Donald Trump showing up. Um, he'll never be that. We'll never, ever, in our lifetime, never, ever is a long time, in our lifetime, we'll never see the sort of um, energy around a political candidate or campaign as we did with Donald Trump. I mean, that's just, you're not going to duplicate nor replicate that. I mean, I've never seen anything close to it, and I remember the night we went to the the Florence Center in 2016 uh, when, you know, I was invited by Ed McMullen, our buddy who's been on the show with us. Ed actually got appointed ambassador to Switzerland, I told him, I said, man, I don't want to go to this thing. He said, yeah, you do. I, trust me. I've been to three. This will be the fourth one. You're, you're a political, kind of a political student. You won't believe it. And I thought he'd over, overstated it. I said, that can't be as crazy as he says. I get there like 30 minutes before, you know, the event begins, and it's like going to a rodeo and a circus and an NFL football game at the same time. Nobody's going to ever do that again. Forget it. Obama didn't do it. Reagan didn't do it. Nobody's going to DeSantis is not going to do it. Nobody will ever do that again. That, that is a, an unprecedented political phenomenon that some were fortunate to be a part of. The Democrats would say, I don't know. Some Republicans would say, I don't know uh, what's going on here. You know, 12,000 people in an airfield parking lot, uh, you know, waiting with bated breath on a former president to come to the stage but, but that's, that's the characteristic. That's who he is. That's the, the embodiment of Trumpism. But, but I've always said there's another phase, and I think the next phase to me looks like Ron DeSantis um, carrying some of that along the way, but not all of it. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. There's some reporting out there. Don't know how credible it is, but there's some reporting out there about a question in the grand jury involving Hunter Biden and the laptop um one of the one uh, one of the jurors, probably not jurors one of the uh, prosecutors um would ask that somebody associated with the biden team explain what 10 percent for the big guy meant who is the big guy have you seen any of this i mean mm-hmm. there's some reporting out there now once again i'm talking about the zero hedge reporting but but rev revs heard me say this before what's on zero hedge today has not been um, corroborated. It's not been proven to be true, but it normally ends up in the New York Times about a week later. In other words, these guys will roll the dice and they'll put things out there that have not been substantiated nor corroborated. But they're not journalists. I mean, they're you know they're um, they're kind of internet sensations. They've got this website and it's rough and tumble and it's fringy, and it's um it's kind of a no holds barred accounting. Um, their, their their moniker is on a long enough timeline everybody's survival rate is zero so that's kind of where they come from but i'm telling you the majority of what they put on their website ends up at the wall street journal new york times or washington post at some point and time some reluctantly the hunter biden story was covered extensively by zero hedge when all of the mainstream media refused to cover that but they're reporting um, in an article I read last night, and it's in the there's another conservative website that um that makes the point that somebody asked in the grand jury hearings who the big guy is. I tried to delve into that as much as I can, and it looks to me like there are four Chinese businessmen who are in question and about thirty one million dollars of money that is in question. And we know because this is being corroborated that about 150 uh, suspicious financial transactions have been flagged uh, from the accounts of Hunter and James Biden. That's the president's son and the president's brother. And we know that to be true, that the the, the U.S. banks flagged about 150. Now, you're not going to read this in Twitter because it's censored. You're not going to hear this in the New York Times or, or read it in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or uh, Wall Street Journal a little bit. Washington Post, not so much. Um, but we can't let rich people on the media because they'll censor and limit um, one side of the story. But the grand jury is currently investigating, um, I guess, the Biden family for um, tax fraud, and money laundering, mainly the violation of lobbying laws is what they could get in serious, serious trouble about. Um, did you launder the money that you made um, lobbying for foreign governments? That's pretty dirty when you get right down to it. Um, and, I mean, tax evasion would come as a result of money laundering and the violation of some of the lobbying laws. And, once again, James and Hunter Biden were paid directly by four Chinese businessmen a sum total of 31 million dollars i mean that's what i think you can corroborate and substantiate today um uh, retainer fees and success fees and a couple of other um you know share ownerships or ownership share um but it equals about 31 million dollars and it's four chinese businessmen that i think involve three um chinese companies um the, the payout mechanisms i guess are what we're trying to run down and explore to find out where the money was, where the money ended up. Um, did they indeed violate some of the, lo- uh, was it Monday laundering? And did they violate some of the lobbying? Uh, you're, you're, you're required to confess you're a lobbyist. I mean, you register as a lobbyist and it looks to me like, um, Jim and Hunter Biden did not register as lobbyists when that's all they were doing was lobbying. But, but I still go back and this is why it interests me because, um, there's a, there's a text as part of the evidence at the grand jury hearing where Hunter Biden says, he's texting his kid, and Hunter Biden says, I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard. But don't worry, unlike Pop, which is Joe, I won't make you give me half your salary. If they are going down the road, if the grand jury and some of the prosecution is asking questions um, about who the big guy is. It leads me to believe that they're trying to find out where this money ended up. And if you, you know, if you're one that wants to buy if you believe the Biden family is corrupt and they politically prostituted themselves year after year after year for the time he's being uh, a member of uh, Senate Washington and vice president and retired from uh, the vice presidency, um, all Jan Saki is saying is, you know, hundred doesn't work for the government. Uh, Jim doesn't work for the government. The The president is in no way implicated in any of these affairs. I don't buy that. I mean, I'm just beginning to sense that, that there's a lot of smoke here, and they're getting pretty close to
1: the fire. So if they can trace that money from the Chinese businessmen to
0: Joe Biden's control. They've chased that. I think they are well-understanding. I think mm. they have a, a good grasp on the four Chinese businessmen the 31 million dollars what I don't think they have an understanding of when the money enters Rosemont what's the uh, Rosemont Horizon that that was the LLC they created um when the money gets there where does the money go from there in other words if you get if you get your paycheck I mean everybody knows the paycheck that you get comes from broadcasters to Dave Baker what does Dave Baker do with it that's Dave Baker's business I mean is he spending it on you know hookers and marijuana that's Dave Baker's <laughs> business does he give it to the church? That's Dave Baker's business. You know what Dave Baker does with his money is his business. Um, but it looks to me like they're beginning to, to, to find some, I don't know, more ample smoke. Uh, I don't know if they've gotten to the fire yet, but um, but it was revealed over the weekend on Zero Hedge that um, one of the questions asked by, I guess, one of the, uh, I don't want to say prosecutors, investigators would probably be a better way to say it. The investigators um, are asking in front of the grand jury, um. Do, do we have, do we have, can someone please explain to me what the email meant 10% for the big guy? Who is the big guy? It's honor. It's, it's obvious Hunter Biden can identify the big guy because he said 10% for the big guy. Who is the big guy? Now, now it stands to reason is Joe Biden, but that's circumstantial. I mean, the, the, you know, we, we've got to substantiate that. You got to corroborate that. Um, Zero Hedge does not. Try to corroborate nor substantiate it and at times they're wrong but but the overwhelming majority of the time they get down or start traveling down this road or going down this this rabbit hole it's normally a, a pretty good place to start looking so so there you know when you when you ask me about hunter biden and how much of this is true and and how much of it is not um i think i don't think it's a story of what's true or not i think it's a story of what we're being allowed to talk about or not Now obviously. We're not censored here, so we can discuss whatever we choose to discuss, but it's hard to get information. It's hard to find out what is the latest because the only people discussing these sorts of things, uh, Andy McCarthy at the National Review, is beginning to get more interested in this. Um, just the News, John Solomon has a couple of articles up uh, recently about what he, um, where he thinks they're headed, but Zero Hedge is kind of a um, throw caution to the wind you know, if there's smoke, there's got to be fire. And we'll, um, we'll talk about the smoke before we can identify the fire. Is that a little bit dangerous? Probably if they were, um, trafficking in normal mainstream journalism, but they're not. And I think the reason some of these websites like zero hedge and even the national review to some degree are, are kind of being aggressive in pursuing this, they see how disinterested the mainstream media is. Um, the lady from The Atlantic, I can't think of her name. She's the editor of The Atlantic. Uh, she appeared at a joint, uh, kind of a, I don't know, one of these, um, you know, let the media get together and tell everybody how important they are. And Brian Stetler, the Cabbage Patch Kid, was there. And, um, and someone stood up, a student stood up and said, you know, asked the lady from The Atlantic, you know, why in the world didn't you Reporting of this, I mean, surely you know this is censorship. And as a a person involved in journalism, you got to be opposed to to censorship. And she basically said, "We didn't find it that interesting." Well, I mean, you don't find it that interesting because it's potentially incriminating, uh, at least indicting of the uh, of the former president's family affairs. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again: I think Biden is at least as corrupt as the Clintons. They're just not as smart. I mean, they're they're not as strategic. They're uh. Yeah, you know, I think Jill Biden, excuse me, yeah, Jill, I think Jill, Joe, Jim, uh, and Hunter have all been unbelievably political opportunists or unbelievable political opportunists in the name of getting paid. I mean, I think that's the Biden trade. I think it's the Biden family. I think it's what they do. I mean, how else do you accumulate a fortune of in excess of 10 or $15 million on a $160,000-a-year paycheck, and before then, I think when he got there, it was 70000 I mean, he got there in 78, maybe. It might have been 72 when Joe Biden got the, to the Senate. So, for the last 50 years, he's been a public servant and he ends up buying a house in Delaware that belonged to a DuPont. I mean, how do you do that? You do that if you're prostituting or peddling political influence. And so, I think there's a, a very good understanding, Rev, of Hunter getting paid by, you know, Ukrainian officials and Chinese officials. I just don't think they have clarity on how does Hunter get the money to Joe. But it seems like they are going down It that seems path. to me they're going down that road when somebody asked a question in front of the grand jury, can somebody please tell me who the big guy is? I mean, the big guy's been used multiple times. This one particular email that Vinnie Barbarino talked about, you know, because hey, I think Vinnie Barbarino even asked, how do you get away with this? I'm talking about Bobulinski. I mean, he even asked, how do you you guys get away with this? I mean, how do you think this is okay? In other words, if you guys get in trouble, and here's what Vinnie Barbarino was thinking. If we all get in trouble, I'm probably the one going to prison. I mean, the vice president and former senator isn't going. The kid of the vice president and former senator isn't going. The brother, if there's going to be a fall guy, it's going to be Vinnie Barbarino. And I think that's why he was on heightened alert about this 10% for the big guy. Because he even asked, I think, in the Tucker Carlson interview, he said, hey, man, how do you guys do this? I mean, how do y'all create cover? How do you create these these um, layers of insulation? And he said, uh, what was it, uh, deniability? Uh, plausible plausible deniability. deniability. I mean, that, that's what the, the answer that Hunter Biden, I don't think he ever spoke directly to Joe about that. He spoke directly to Joe. I don't think he ever talked directly to Joe about that. I don't think he said, Mr. Vice President, how do you get away with this? I mean, I've I've got an email here where Hunter says 10% for the big guy. I'm assuming you're the big guy. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't think you want to get in trouble. So so how do we create this implausible deniability? And that's kind of what the Hunter Biden, or excuse me, the Biden family um, basically said that's how they will defend themselves if the time ever comes. Let's go to the phone. Here's John and Lamar. Hello, John.
5: Hey, guys. How y'all doing
4: this morning? Hey, John. Uh, look, I got a question. I understand what you're saying. Uh, I can't seem to find one Democrat that's not politically corrupt.
5: Uh, if you have
4: any leads on any, throw 'em my way. But, you know, I got it this morning and I seen where Clyburn is passing that $200,000 campaign money to his family. So, I mean, what's the difference between him and Biden except for it's on a different scale?
0: I, well, they're, 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 they're th- thank you, John. I appreciate that. There is no difference there, but, but it's not just the Democrats. And it's really, it goes back to Dr. Oz and J.D. Vance and Herschel Walker. Po- both political parties are looking for something new. And, and I think subconsciously they're looking for somebody they don't believe has been bought and sold. I think that's why Republicans are so such big fans of Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and Donald Trump. I mean, these guys are independently wealthy. That You know, maybe they'll cheat, maybe they won't. Maybe you can buy those guys. Maybe you can't. But but the Joe Bidens of the world, um, the Mitch McConnell's of the world, that the rank and file Republican or Democrat office holder, it's pretty obvious that if you've got a buck, they'll listen. I mean, the, the, I'm telling you, the difference in the Bidens and the Clintons, the Bidens are just not as smart and strategic as the Clintons are. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero oh, nine three seven. When you look at the the. The 150 suspicious financial transactions that have been flagged by the U.S. banks, um, it, it kind of goes down. I mean, I'd read something in the New York Times a week or so ago, might have been a couple of weeks ago, that talked about the the wire transfers could be, I mean, this is speculative, but they could be um, c- kind of the intake mechanism of the the greater payout. Um, I mean, the money's got to come from somewhere. so. So Biden is admitting that he got paid. I mean, he doesn't have to admit it. I mean, it's easily proved that that he got paid by a bunch of Chinese companies and some Ukrainian companies. You know, we've we've debated whether he had any expertise in in any of the business or not. But it looks to me like that the majority of the investigation um, centers around these four Chinese businessmen who paid the Biden family and I think Rosemont Horizon this is the name of the llc the checks were forwarded or the while transfers were made um and it totals about 31 million there's much more money than that in play i mean it's in excess of 100 million dollars but about 31 million with four chinese businessmen and the wire transfers what i'm calling the payout mechanisms seem to be where they're focused now now i could be wrong i'm not the, i'm not on the grand jury i'm not in the room with the prosecution defense investigation well there is no defense of the grand jury and we know the old saying, a grand jury can do what? Indite a ham am sandwich. sandwich. Um, I'm not a ham sandwich, but they damn sure. <laughs> sh- anyway, um, <laughs> I can relate. I can assure you of that. Um, there is no defense. I mean, it's a one-sided affair. And, uh, and right now, um, the quote-unquote prosecution is presenting evidence. And I think the most recent evidence, the most alarming evidence to me, if you're a Democrat or a Biden supporter, or really and truly anybody who doesn't want to see the president go down. I mean, they, you know, Democrats took a lot of joy when Nixon went down. Uh, the day he boarded the plane to go back to California was a, uh, you know, a big day in the life of a Democrat because they got, so to speak, the Republican president, uh, Woodward and Bernstein and Deep Throat and Watergate. I mean, you know, some of the some of the story there. That's um, going to be interesting to watch the media try to take down a Democrat. If they, if they get to a place where they smell enough, in other words, if there's so much blood in the water, the the journalists will do their job. I mean reluctantly, but they will Um, they'll put a dagger in Biden if they must because the story gets to that point and and I it looks to me like I'm telling you there's a, there's an awful lot of fire, smoke there mm-hmm. and um, where there's that much smoke there's normally there's normally fire and they're asking very specific, and what I'd call appropriate questions. Take a break. Back in a minute.